0: Hey, what's up, Bookworms? Mike, back with another author interview today. Today, it is uh, pretty much a a sci-fi fantasy legend and an author. 22-time bestsellers list on New York Times, guys. I'm so happy that he accepted my invitation, R.A. Salvatore. How are you this evening? Thanks for dropping by. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, My pleasure. Pleasure all on this. Uh, Look, uh, the most recent book I got of yours is The Tao of Drist, uh, which is an awesome cover, by the way. I think That's a really great great job. I am rather new. To reading a uh, Legend of driss and here's the thing: is like when I was growing up, uh, I was like, I never really played Dungeons and Dragons. So whenever everybody mm-hmm. be like a big fantasy reader, they're like, well, if you read Drist, And I'm like, like, no, nah, I don't read Dungeons and Dragons. I've never played the games. I probably wouldn't understand them, right? So it was about uh, two years ago. I had a viewer actually send me the uh, the Dark Elf trilogy, and he was like, read it. You, you don't have to play the games or nothing. I was like, okay, why not? I'll go ahead and, and I loved it. And I mean, long story short, yeah, I'm at this point now. You know, and I'm still not that far into it. I've got all these that you can see here. But I actually discovered you off through Star Wars stuff, which I'm sure will will probably come up uh, uh, quite a bit. But you're releasing your 39th Dritz book this year? is that? Yeah, well,
1: it's 39 if you don't count the five books in the Clara Quintet, which I do. So that'd be 44. If you don't count the three books that I wrote, my son, the young adult books, The Stone of Tomorrow. But I count those. So that'd be 47 and then uh, the collected stories of the legend of dritz which is all the short stories i wrote for the various anthologies or dragon magazine over the years they put them all together
0: well if but you by you know, the way if you ever want to
1: hear that at audible it's read by melissa roush uh ice T, felicia day will wheaton is
2: it weird out like on it weird, weird out yeah
1: dave Duchovny. <laughs> it's like it, they, they did this big surprise for me and they had all these really cool dudes I actually was on the phone with Ice-T uh, doing an interview. It was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I'm not really a big uh, audiobook listener, but uh, that that would be interesting to hear just, you know, to have Weird Al and Ice-T read some drifts
1: to me. That'd be pretty cool. I found out about it because my wife was reading, a, she was just reading something on the internet. And she comes in, she goes, hey, what's this? And it's someone saying, um, you know, I went in there to do a recording and, it's this fantasy stuff. And it's got like talking swords and flying horses. And I can't pronounce this. And, you know, one F-bomb after the oh, it was Ice-T. It was his blog. <laughs> and I'm like, that's my story. But <laughs> so I call it Wizards and I go, um, why is Ice-T reading my story for Audible? And they're like, oh, we wanted it to be a surprise.
0: Yeah, that's 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 and they that's had
1: all these alone. Sean Astin did one. And he's a, I love Sean. So that was that was a big thrill for me.
0: So that's uh, well, loath Warrior. That's the end of the way of the drow, correct? Yes. Are you yes. taking a break after this or just going to keep on keep on rolling?
1: Um, I'm working on my Demon Wars books right now. What number okay. are we on to on Demon Wars? Because that's one that I didn't really know it very much about. Seven book, Demon Wars was a seven book series, and it's much bigger in scope. It's more like um, Song of Ice and Fire or Wheel of Time. Not, not that big because I'm not as worthy as... as- <laughs> <laughs> Robert or George, George does the best dialogue. I love George's work. But anyway, um, the it's it's a big it's world building. There's a hundred threads. There's a, you know, bunches of characters. There's and that's over seven book series. Um, and then I went back and did a prequel series, eight hundred years before when they first formed the church. Uh, that, that's four books, so that's eleven. And then I did a series called the Coven. About witches who are using the gemstone magic, but in a different way in the middle part of the world uh, for tour books a couple of years ago. And now I'm doing a trilogy for Saga. Um, it's uh, D- Demon Wars Buccaneers. And it's uh, the logical con- the logical extension of the coven when we have uh, pirates oper- operating off the coast. I'm having a blast. I've never really written a lot of pirate books. But... It seems like it. So this is still fun for you. Oh, heck yeah. Standard, if it wasn't, like... why would I be doing it? I have seven grandkids. That's, that's, that's what I say.
0: Why, why do it if you aren't having a good time? Well, now, I usually like to, uh, whenever I'm going to have an author on, I always want to you know open up for other people to ask some questions or whatever. But I want to be selfish and ask some me questions first. And I figure okay. since most of this is going to be dominated by Forgotten Realms, D&D, all that stuff, I, I, I want to get my Star Wars stuff out of the way here first. So <laughs> well, I'm, I'm 21 at the time in 1999. Uh-huh. Star Wars has been my religion since uh-huh. I was old enough to you know, record fault in my brain. So this, this little book right here comes out vector prime.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I guess, I guess got to ask you some questions about it that you probably got sick of answering over the years, but I'm sure a lot of these questions are questions you've just got on, on, on you know, instant replay at this point. But yeah. uh, I just went to with the whole right like, writing process of uh, the new Jedi order. When this started coming out was did, did they have like an outline and they just wanted you guys to fill in the blanks? Cause it was so many different collaborating
1: authors and things like that. Or did they say, Hey, just tell us what you come up with. Yes. And no. Okay. Um. What happened was I had just Del Rey was fighting with Bantam Doubleday for the rights to do the adult fiction in Star Wars. The, the license was coming up right around the time the new movies was coming out. How you know coincidental that is, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so they're fighting each other for the for the license. Del Rey winds up getting the license, and then two weeks later, Bertelsmann, which is D- Bantam Doubleday Dell, buys Random House. So. Basically, they fought each other up the ladder. Then one bought the other for entirely different reasons. Anyway, but um, anyway. Oh, thank you, Dino. I just saw the thing from Dino. He's the one that gets you reading them, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dino. Uh, Anyway, um, so Delray wins the thing. I had just signed to do my Demon Wars books with Delray. Well, I hadn't just signed. I'd been writing my Demon Wars books with Delray. And... And at that point, I had also gone back to Watsi because Watsi had bought TSR and they brought me back. Yay. And I got a call from Shelly Shapiro at Del Rey. And she said, Bob, you know, can you put the Demon Wars books on the side for a minute? And I we really need you to do a, a Star Wars book. And I'm like, Star Wars. And I love Star Wars. I love the movies. Yeah. But I wasn't into the expanded universe and all that because you know I'm I'm in the Forgotten Realms. How many? And when you're Buried in an IP up to your neck. You really don't jump into a bunch of other expanded anything. You watch the movies, but they really wanted me to do it, and um, because they needed it fast, and I've I've got a reputation being able to put a book out in a hurry, um, and a clean manuscript, and they needed it before Christmas. This was August, and the book was coming out for Christmas,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it had to get done. So what they did is they they told me the kind of the overracking story they wanted the vong to come into the galaxy sure and uh they were more organic based but they weren't that organic based till i got my hands on them and then i just had them using you know their spaceships were living creatures still right i i went full bore with that so you, you had a, they basically told me we need you to go from we need pyrrhic victory for the heroes they need to think they're one but they really didn't this is just the start um so we want you to go from point A to point B. It's going to go all the way to Z. Okay. And they, all right. So I jumped in and I did Vector Prime. And I remember um, they told me, you know, you got to use everybody. And I'm like, who's everybody? And they're saying, you know, all the people from the movies, all the people from, like, they wanted me to use Tim's characters. And I knew Tim wasn't on board with doing the project with them or, or they were still oh, really something i didn't want to step on his toes i didn't want to step on people's toes so i tried to shy from, no no you got to use you got to use the characters and i'm like okay well, will have a cast of like 15 main characters how am i going to do this they said no nope, you'll do it so anyway i came up with the outline i sent it in and now we're in like september and i got to get going they need this book the end of october wow. at the latest and i'm on the phone with Sura stoney from Lucasfilm and Shelly Shapiro and Sue's like, oh, this is exactly what we want." But didn't anyone tell you you're going to kill Chewbacca? <laughs>
2: and I was like,
1: all right, where do I send the check back? Uh, yeah, no, right? <laughs> I, I didn't say it that politely, but I'm not going to swear on your podcast. Um, oh, that's fine. But then I talked to Mike Stackpole, and he convinced me that they were doing it for the right reasons. And I agreed to do it. And I've kind of regretted it ever since. <laughs>
0: I have a feeling that question comes because that was the next question. Was like, was that a mandate? Or was it your idea to uh, oh, to, God, to be the monster not. that killed Chewbacca? <laughs> oh,
1: I would never. I would never go into somebody else's universe. Yeah. And off a major character. On my impetus, you know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like
1: I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't do that. Um, and you know, I wouldn't kill Chewie anyway. Sure. Sure. He's everybody's yeah, yeah. dog. You don't kill. Children. Yeah. Oh, oh I got to yeah.
0: give you the compliment here. That uh, when I saw Attack of the Clones in yeah. the theater, I, I won't lie. I was disappointed, like most people who grew up with the original trilogy were. I was not not pleased with it. But I had already bought this, and I said, "Well, I'll go ahead and give this a read." I, I liked what he did in Vector Prime. So yeah, I think he likes this. he does this universe pretty well, and it made me realize the story was pretty good. This may be some of the direction and some of the uh, maybe the acting just wasn't quite up to snuff a little bit. So uh, so thanks for that
1: well I get to add a lot I got really surprised in that book though because I added all the things about um you know Schmi and the 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 stuff on Tatooine Uh uh and I had it scattered through the book and then they said no no you gotta put it all at the front of the book because the movie takes place over three days I think it was three days I'm like wait a minute how can the movie take place over three days they're going across the Galaxy Loading an entire army, bringing them all the way back, and you're going to have a fight. And they're like, yep, nope, this is the way it's got to be. Right. Um, so I had to rearrange everything. And I, I wasn't given any leeway at all on – it was really from the script. I had to be on the script. But I was a- able to add those parts. They told me to add those parts. Now, when if you read – did you read the third book, Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, Matthew Stober. Mm-hmm. I he think that's even... I think that might be the best novelization yeah. I've ever seen. Of a yeah, I was like, I actually like the movie the book was seen they gave him he's like Bob they let me do whatever I want. I'm like, screw you, you <laughs> uh, but Matt's fantastic. I love Matt, I love his work. Yeah, he, I he was he the greatest guy.
0: He wrote uh, Traitor, which might be one of my favorite Star Wars EU books ever. I mean he originally
1: me and Terry were talking about writing the third book together in that because Terry know. wrote Phantom Menace, and Terry's yeah. like my best friend, so okay. Okay. We yeah. were thinking, hey, let's get together and write this book, and then I realized I'd be the I'd be the junior partner in that. Relationship. It's it's never too late. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I mean, would, would you ever visit Star Wars again? Uh, if they, if it, it would depend on the project, and it would depend on you know what they were really looking for. It's, you know, I love Demon Wars because I have control of it. Right. Yeah. I blow up a city. I blow up a city. I want to kill major characters, and I do all over the place. I can, I can, I don't need to talk to anyone about it. The other that can say, I want you to do this. I say, no, I'm doing it my way. I like that. Um, Forgotten Realms, I can't, I, I pretty much get away with anything I want in Forgotten Realms now because they trust me and they, they kind of let me have my way. And, uh, but I, it, it'd be real hard for me to go to another IP, even though I'm liking a lot of the newer Star Wars stuff. I, I, I love the IP.
0: Yeah. it'd be yeah. hard it'd be hard
1: i think I mean, it's not
0: a writer somebody's
1: right opportunity came up yeah. i wouldn't i certainly wouldn't say no to it if if I'm i, play in if the I sandbox had the time here. and i felt yeah. like doing there's a project i wanted to do yeah yeah definitely definitely uh so i think that's not right. writing dialogue for
0: grogo though just not gonna happen it's not gonna happen no you don't write gurgle gurgle yeah. <laughs> cute
1: noise here yeah <laughs> tobacco right. was so, bad enough for that but <laughs>
0: Uh, some general questions for the audience. This is obviously the, the 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 layup here is our. What were some of your earliest primary influences for the sci-fi fantasy genre?
1: Well, I mean, I was a math major. Um, I uh, when I was a kid, I would read a lot, uh, but it was mostly I had some Fantastic Four uh, comics, uh, Charlie Brown. If you can't really see it now, but that back way back there way back there that bookcase all the uh-huh. way uh-huh. it's loaded with first edition charlie brown stuff oh nice oh. um i have i have early peanuts books from the early 60s when i was a kid and i had deal with my mom i could stay home back school as long as i was getting a's so i never went to school <laughs> um i was reading my charlie brown books and i and i still love them because i think charles schultz was just wonderful but i by the time i got through high school Bam, it beat the it beat the uh reading right out of me. We weren't being given many books to read. We were we had like this big textbook that said we're gonna analyze a paragraph of Faulkner and a paragraph of Hemingway, right? And it's like and it was driving me crazy because I want I wasn't getting anything to read I wanted. And um, you know, they give me Moby Dickers in the eighth grade, Silas Moner, Ethan Fromm, and I'm like, yuck, <laughs> right? I want to go play hockey, I don't want to do this. Um, but then when I was in when I started college in 77 for Christmas, my sister gave me the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, that little Ballantine slipcase with the Peter Beagle introduction, this right. wonderful introduction. And I didn't I threw it aside, I was mad. I wanted I wanted money. My car was breaking down every day. I had to get to college, you know, I was commuting. And then one night I went to bed and they said it might get a little snow tomorrow. And when I woke up, I went to the window. I looked down and somebody had stolen my car. I was losing my mind. All I could see was a little black spot with a driveway you know, and a little bit of snow. So I thought, that was a roof of my car. It was called the uh, Great Blizzard of 78 here in New England. And we didn't have school for a week. There were no roads. You couldn't leave. And if you actually, if, if they caught you out on the streets, even like on a snowmobile, they'd arrest you. It was just a disaster here in Massachusetts. Wow. So I would... Um, I'm stuck in my mother's house am 19 years old, and I'm like, oh, great. Now what, right? And, of course, this is back in the days when you had channels 4, 5, and 7, um, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and they were all covering the storm. So, you know, there's no Internet. There's no computer games. There's no whatever. Can't get to my friends. They can't get to me. So I, I woke up one morning, and I put on Fleetwood Mac's um, Rumors. Rumors, yeah and I opened this book and I read this Peter Beagle introduction, which was just amazing about escapism being a, not a bad word. I turned the page and it's in a hole in the ground. They lived a hobbit and I'm like, Oh, here we go. Right. (laughs) And I couldn't put them down. And to me, it was like, I remembered how much I loved reading when I was a kid and I hadn't been reading for years. And I remembered my imagination. I had the best imagination. I was just, when I was a kid, I had my entire neighborhood believing there was a moose in the woods behind my house. There was no moose back there, but I was jealous because I was like six, I was like eight years old. My sister had seen a moose and got her name in the paper. One of three of my sisters had seen this moose when they were driving to her house. My sisters are all older than I am, which is where I came up with the drought. And really? the, and uh, so I convinced everyone there was a moose back there. I was a storyteller and I became a professional liar. So it all worked out. Eh, eh. but um i read those books and and i just i just got absolutely hooked and so i just spent the next couple of years grabbing every fantasy book i could find which meant terry brooks's series was just starting stephen donaldson's Lloyd follows bane you know the covenant books um michael moorcock uh fritz fritz labber who who i would say was probably looking back in retrospect fafford and gray mouser is probably where i fell in love with buddy fantasy which are what my books are Buddy Fantasy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Joel Axel and Trary, Dritz in the game, right? Um, so I would say those are my those are my biggest influences. I basically what happened was I, I ran out of books to read. So I wrote one. Because I ran out of fantasy books to read.
0: Yeah, everybody I had numerous people submit the question. Tell me, tell the blizzard story. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm it's a blizzard that. story. That's great. No, I mean, uh, like most fantasy fans, I think uh that are probably at least my age or a little older, maybe. Uh, pretty much all of them have that story about when they first found Tolkien I think that's a uh, that's fair and I, I know that some people get tired of hearing that but I'm like it's it's a legend for a reason guys it really is that good so for me oh, remember,
1: yeah. back then you didn't have the internet so exactly I had exactly. a Walden bookstore and there was like pilgrim books there were like two bookstores in my area that I could go to and you had what they had on the shelf and they had one bay for science fiction fantasy and it was like Asimov bova Clark Heinlein right Zelazny and then down the bottom was Tolkien. Uh, and then suddenly there was Brooks and then Donaldson and then Moorecock yeah, yeah. and Liber and, and, Library, and McCaffrey, right? And that was it. There, there, there weren't a lot of fantasy books and you didn't know where to go to find them. It's not like the not like today. You can go on the internet and find them, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it wasn't like that. There weren't that many. And so once, yeah, you know, I had read them all and that I that I could find. And so I wrote my own.
0: Yeah, I did the what, I did the Hobbit, and then I did uh C.S. Lewis uh, Narnia was like what I had. Yeah, at it, was not, the yeah it was Narnia yeah. time, and I so right. I think the first one that I remember like being like a new release and it was like a big deal was the short of Shinar- short of Shannara, and yeah, yeah, that was me. Like now you hear a lot of people going be like, oh, it's so derivative of Lord of the Rings. Like at that age, I just wanted more Lord of the Rings, so I was absolutely fine with that. But uh, there yeah. was
2: a story
1: in Time Magazine that talked about how Terry Brooks created the modern fantasy genre I've argued he, he saved him out with yeah. Chandler, mm-hmm. and it made number one in the New York Times and that's when all the publishers said wait a minute people want to read this stuff and they were working on uh, Lester Del Rey and Judy Lynn were working on and Owen Locke were working on Terry and Donaldson I think at the same time and Terry's came out first but those two series Lloyd Fowles being the Thomas Covenant books and Shannara books really changed the world in terms of um, what you would find in your bookstores, in terms of fantasy as opposed to just science fiction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've made that argument on the channel several times that, that Terry Brooks deserves your respect, guys. Cause like you don't understand that John was on life support when he kind of really made it, it wasn't a genre. again. Yeah, exactly.
1: It, wasn't, it was this curiosity off to the side. Right. Yeah. And, I, and then I'll, I'll add is that, you know, if, if you feel that way about sword, of genre. Uh, go read Elfstones. Elfstones is one yeah
2: yeah i say it, it takes a turning. It and they just get ever. better mm-hmm.
1: and the night of the word books are fabulous i mean terry he's he's one of the reasons why this genre has been able to grow is terry i am with you i'm with you so are there any
0: modern fantasy, say like the last 10 15 years a new writer that that really uh Grabs your interest that you're a really supporter of? Or do you really like their their works?
1: Well, I'm really supportive of Erica Lewis, who I wrote Color of Dragons with. It's it's a young adult or middle grade. I don't know. I can never tell where it's young adult or middle grade. I don't know the difference. But Erica does. And so uh, Temple Hill wanted me to write a book that they were going to try and turn into a movie or whatever. That was the promise that they were going to try anyway. And so I I didn't have time. And and they suggested, like, "Can, can you find someone else to write it with you? And they were thinking of Gino, because we had written before my son Gino, but he's he's busy, he's got kids, he's he's flat out. Um, and but I knew Erica and I knew, and I had I had helped her edit her first book, which was called Game of Shadows, which is really good. And um, so I and Erica and I are friends. She lives she lives in when I'm in California, we're not far away. We have lunch all the time. It's dear friends of my family, my wife, my kids. And um, so we got together and we wrote the Color of Dragons. She's got a new young adult series called um Kelsey um Kelsey Murphy and the Academy of the Unbreakable Arts I think is the first one it's a lot of fun so I I, I've been reading her stuff I started Shannon Sharkey's Gin series okay is really good uh and I'm reading um just I I I put it back down because I'm trying to get the second book for Simon and Schuster for um for the Demon Wars the Buccaneers series I'm trying to get them when I'm on this kind of a run I don't read sure but I'm reading uh, Evan Winter's Rage of Dragons. And if you read Dow of Dritz, right behind you, Evan gave me an amazing forward for that book. Yeah, Rage of Dragons um, was good. Yeah, I can't wait for book three. Fabulous writer, yeah. So, I mean, I haven't been reading that much lately. Uh, I've, been, I've been flat out, and and I haven't been reading in fantasy lately, I should say, because yeah. I've been flat out. I'm trying to get everything bundled together. The Dritz book that's coming out this summer, um, Loth's Warrior, was really supposed to come out in 24. We were going to take a year off, let people catch up. Because see, one of the problems you have when you have a long-running series is your frontless books won't sell as well, because there are people who are two, three, four, five books behind.
2: Right. <laughs> so the
1: publishers go, eh, and then they don't push it, you know? And um, so we slow down a little bit, let people catch up, give it a year or so. But then this is the 35th anniversary of Dritz, the Dungeons and Dragons movie came out. There's all kinds of other things coming out. Um, and Wizard said, can you guys, to me and Hopper, can you guys please get this book back into right. 2023? So I've been kind of busy for the last few months.
0: Well, as someone who's only six books in so far, yeah, I've got a little bit of catching up to do myself. And yeah. also, Aaron, I've only read through uh, six books, but in, uh, Artemis Centauri is one of the coolest things I've ever read in my life. So there you I go. I like um,
1: yeah, yeah, I got well, the name well. Artemis from the Wild, Wild West. Artemis Gordon. Not Greek mythology? No. Okay. No, I love the I love the Wild Wild West when I was a kid. So I'll guess that
0: uh, this has probably come up quite a bit. Have you seen the new D and D movie? What'd you think?
1: I haven't because we're we're going we're going to Disney with my whole family. We're leaving Friday, like huge trip, sixteen people, all planned. We it's our annual go blow out Disney with the family, and my wife is like, I'm not going to the theater before and i'm like we just had our 39th anniversary friday and it's um i said let's go see the movie and she said no I'm not going not going to the theater and i don't want to go to a restaurant either because if one of us starts getting sick and we got a test and it comes positive we can't get on a plane right right so when we get back when we get back from disney from disney uh next week we will we i can't wait to see it i'm hearing I'm hearing that they, they walked the line really well between the people who love D&D and the people who don't know what it is. And that's what I was hoping they'd do. Yeah, my I've heard nothing do. but good from people. And I've heard nothing but good from a lot of people who wanted to not like it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They went to it expecting to hate it. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I had this story about the original Dungeons & Dragons movie from 2000. Was that when that came out, I I had been following the development of the Lord of the Fellowship of the Ring for, you know, the whole time. And when I went and saw that movie, I got so heartbroken. I was like, Lord of the Rings is going to be terrible. They just can't I do that. The there goes any
1: chance of Dritz coming to the screen for a few years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, with this one, I was just like, hey, at least this one, it looks like every time they try to make a serious Dungeons and Dragons movie, it doesn't really go too well. So I was like, hey, this just looks like they said they got this cast together and they had a campaign. They said, no matter what happens, that's the movie we're going to make. That's what it looked like
1: to me. And I said, hey, that's the
0: way it should be. And it
1: sounds like it turned out pretty good. I think um, you probably wouldn't want to dump people into the world of Dragonlance or the Forgotten Realms like, like the Dritz books, Homeland, first, mm. right? It's it's kind of like, if you look at where Star Wars is going now with the Mandalorian and Andor and a lot of the other ones, you can get into real deeper stories, if you will. And so I, I hope it works out like that. But I, like I said, a lot of people who I knew... Thought they were going to hate it or wanted it, wanted them to hate it, uh, wanted to hate it, came back and said they nailed it. So I can't wait to go see it.
0: Yeah, my kids want to see it, and they've never played Dungeons & Dragons. So, yeah, uh, that looks like it's a mass appeal.
1: You know, a lot of my readers have never played Dungeons & Dragons.
0: I've barely, but here's the thing. is like I put it off forever. I was like, look, I am full-on uber-geek, but the one thing I won't do is the Dungeons & Dragons. Really, I I didn't know anybody else that really wanted to play it. So it was about uh, late 2019, got a group together. We were going to play, got everything really excited. Uh, dungeon Masher created this great campaign. He got like this giant LCD TV to use as like a dungeon. He was drawing maps and stuff, and then COVID happened, and we couldn't play.
1: Yeah, well, that's what Virtual Tabletop's for.
2: Yeah, so we d- tried to do d- it on d- Zoom d- a couple times.
1: It just d and Beyond and Virtual Tabletop will, will solve the problem for you. I've been playing D&D since 1980. Really? big the group has changed because people moved away. My brother passed away. Other people have joined. But one of the guys has been with us since 1989. He's still in the group. Wow. And my son, uh, Gino, is in the group. Um, guy I met at 38 Studios is in the group. My niece's husband just joined the group. My grandson was playing for a while. Do you ever write any of those campaigns now. into your books?
0: No. No, okay, good. No. I know the you hear about the um, Steven Erickson that did Malazan. apparently, apparently that was their, their whole their whole yeah D&D no game.
1: no I try to keep it separate um because otherwise D D becomes like work if that makes sense
0: right yeah no, um, no
1: I try to keep it separate the only time I ever really got into a character was when I was writing my um my hat my highway halfling Oliver de in the Crimson Shadow books. I did a trilogy called Crimson Shadow. It's a Three musketeerish trilogy I wrote for Warner back in the early, mid-90s. And I wanted to see if I could get Oliver DeBurrows right because Oliver was a cross between the Nagel Montoya from Princess Bride and the little French guy on the wall of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> so I wanted to see if I could get him right. And so we were playing this campaign and, and we were several weeks in, we were still first level. And we always played, if you rolled a natural 20, you roll percentage dice, and it's double, triple, or instant kill. Like up to 75 is double damage, up to 99 is triple damage, or 85 is double damage. Not to 99 is triple, double zero, and you kill him. So we get to this, we get to this one place, and it's like this ruins of the Parthenon type building with these columns. And the wizard does a clairvoyance spell, his one spell for the day, old D and D, um, and he says it's clear. It's clear, and so. Since it's clear, Oliver will go in the front. Oh, I'll lead. And he runs up the stairs, and the wizard missed the ogre standing behind the pillar, who jumped out and criticaled me. And I had six hit points, and they do plus six to damage. And he rolled triple damage. So that starts at 18. So Oliver got splattered all over the stairs. (laughs) And everybody around the table got up and cheered, and I said, yeah, he's in the book. And that's really the only time I had a character specifically designed that I wanted to put him in the book and just see if I could get his voice right. All
2: right.
0: That's pretty good. And yeah, this one, I want to read this one. I still remember seeing Ari's uh, author photo for the first time. He had long hair and held a sword in the center of his face. Like he was, wow. He's like Conan. I must read him.
1: <laughs> remember taking this okay. photo? <laughs>
2: uh-huh. Yeah. That, that
1: was for faces of fantasy. We, we, they were doing, <laughs> there's a great one in there. Is it Peter David. Yeah, Peter David did one. He's naked on the couch with a book over his crotch. It's hilarious. <laughs> Margaret Weiss, Weiss did the uh, toy soldier. It was fabulous. And um, the most thing I remember about Faces of Fantasy is reading, because you had to do a little one-page, you know, what you go for, what you do, and why you do what you do to go with the picture, right? And, and it's like like everyone's in it. Brooks, Martin, they're, everyone's in it. And Neil Gaiman did one. And I'm reading his one page, and I'm like, you're such an asshole. He <laughs> can't not be amazing when he writes. I just hate him. He's just too good a writer, a wordsmith. And I'm like, good jerk." <laughs> I'm writing this, this little goofy thing, and he's writing this submit. like his entry in that could win an award, you know?
0: Yeah, I saw uh, Pat Rothfuss one time saying that about Brandon Sanderson. he's like, I hate that. He's so nice and he's good at what he does. Cause you know, I can't get mad at him for being so productive and so popular and you know, so nice. <laughs> Stuff like that, which by the way, uh, someone commented before we went on that said uh, that his uh, preteen is reading uh, Driss books and said that uh, already right, salvage words better than Brandon Sanderson. So
1: there you go. I love Brandon. I've only met, I've only, I had lunch with him once and I, I really haven't seen him that much cause he's been, he's everywhere.
0: You know, right.
1: Yeah. Brandon's um, a good dude and uh, he works his butt off. He's earning everything. He's earning everything he's getting. And I, you know, he, he should be very happy and he's actually employing a lot of people, which is yeah. he's he's way beyond just being an author at this point. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, he's created his own company here. And, and good for him. Good yeah. for him.
0: Another question I got about D&D was if you were asked to write a Dungeons and Dragons movie, is there a particular story that you would tell or setting?
1: i do if I was doing Dungeons and Dragons movie, I'd do Dress. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, it makes but sense. I'd do the Dark Elf trilogy. Oh, well, in I a would, heartbeat, I would love to see that. And then uh, you know, you can shoot it with the lighting like from the 300, yeah, yeah, real, you know what I mean, yeah. just to give it that weird, different kind of look in the Underdark. But yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I don't need to keep doing more stuff, I've got stuff, and right, the cell swords okay. would be fun too, which are all excellent and Trary. Is, You'll uh, see get to those books eventually
0: yeah i've got so many people so many tell people telling me about like if you like and try, just wait for Jarlaxle. and i'm like i will get there calm down <laughs> so
1: Jarlaxle is um he was in a lot of the earlier books as my walking deus ex machina mm. and what would happen is no matter he's like batman he's got a utility belt you know he takes out his anti dragon spray and gets rid of the dragon that type of thing mm. and then all of a sudden i had to write a book. Uh Servant of the Shard, and I, I'm going to get the feature, Jarl Axel and Entrary. And I was so excited. I'm like, yeah, finally. And then I'm like, oh crap, in like four months to write this book. And I have no idea all the gadgets I gave Jarl Axel because he's been, he's I don't even know what book season he's, he's been in like this. We're now you know, 10, 12 books into the series or whatever it was. Uh, and I'm like, what does he have? What did I give him? And, you know, I didn't have this like big style sheet library behind me. So I'm like, crap, how am I going to read all these books and write everything down? So I went to a message board anonymously and I said, hey, guys, let's let's do a list of Jarl Axel's cool items. (laughs) And I went back uh, like three days later and downloaded this 10 page thread. And people were naming all the items and what page they were on, in the books and stuff. And I'm like, thank you.
0: Yeah, Right. No, that's that's nice. So they did all my research for me
1: so I could write the darn book. Uh, so yeah, do you, you don't like Jell Axel. Jell Axel's tough.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I'm still always going to be you know, Clan Battlehammer, but i uh, bet sure. Let's yeah.
1: say my softball team. I probably, <laughs> I I just, just Battlehammer. I'm i not kidding. We got new uniforms this year. Really, That's cool. a great name. I'll probably, name. Some, I'll probably yeah, they, put some of the new hats up for sale at my wife's store okay yeah if any broke don't
0: fix it i say just keep rolling with it uh, do you find it difficult writing uh in the world of forgotten realms where you know where you're told you're allowed to play with the toys but you're not allowed to break the toys i knew you were talking about saying earlier was you know with demon wars if you're if you're if you want to destroy a city you can do that do you find that yeah, no, restrictive
1: i have done a really good job over the years of staying away from everybody else which is what the realms was supposed to be all about it's this gigantic world so like I'm in Icewind Dale, or I'm down at the Spirit Soaring my Catholic books, or I'm underground in, in Nithral Hall and Gontelgrim and Menzo zion which I created. And so I really get a lot to do with the places I created. And now Caladay is the new place I created, the new drought settlement in the north, far, 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 farthest north. Okay. And um, so, yeah, no, it, it's they they really leave me alone and they've been leaving me alone for a lot of years. Um, I think sometimes things can get a little frustrating. I mean, I, I, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people working on something. And I remember once they um, they wanted me the new edition was coming out and they wanted me to use a bull, many arrows, who's not And I said, all right, but if I'm using them, I'm going to kill him because the story <laughs> he was going to get killed. And they said, well, yeah, yeah, do what you want. So I wrote the book and they um, I'm like almost done with the book and they go oh, Bob, we got a problem. You can't kill a bull because he's going to show up over here and it's like oh. <laughs> all right um so you know, you, you have resurrection to, you spell. Have, there's a little <laughs> give and give and take when you're working in a shared world. And that's why like I'm, I I remember, I saw one of your reviews where you were talking about the dates, how the dates were put in the books. Did I yeah, you mentioned something about the dates being like nailed down in the books, and you like kind of threw me off a little bit. And I was laughing when I read when I saw that review you did because of course I want to see the reviews before I came on here to know if I was going to get stabbed in the back here. <laughs> and and um, I put those dates in there because they kept changing the timeline. Okay, all right. Yeah. And so we had to nail down that that was kind of from on high that you need to have dates. We need to nail this down. And then of course they just changed the timeline again it, and. And so many things have changed since first edition. The game's in its fifth edition. In the early Dritz books, they use InfraVision. There's no light. That's gone. It's low light now. And there's all these, like, glow worms and, you know, glowing uh, luminescent fungi, fungi and stuff in the underdark. So there's, there are, there's more light than there used to be. So, like, Menzel used to be just heat, and now it has to glow a little bit because people actually see it. Um I mean Narvendel, the time clock of Mensaferentan. So they've they've changed a lot of things. The magic has changed the, and I have to try to not retrofit because I'm not going back and changing this. But I have to try to, you know, be vague enough or kind of slide to the side of things to make it work sometimes. But no no real complaints because they they leave me alone.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling when you, you hit the New York Times bestsellers 22 times, they probably leave you alone a little bit, right?
1: Well, they were leaving everybody alone early on, and then nice. they started taking control of it. And that's part of the reason why the TSR bombed and Wizards bought the company. Because you hire creative people and you let them be creative. Yeah, there's like well, an
0: ownership change or something going on right now, right?
1: What's that? Isn't there like an ownership change going on right now or something like that? that hurts? No, oh, they were talking about changing the open gaming license. and that, That's something I can't speak to. I don't know anything about it. I, I'm just staying out of that discussion' it's got not that's way above my pay grade
0: so I didn't know if that was going to be one of those things where they end up rebooting it like Disney did when they bought Star wars you yeah.
1: um no I think I think they are trying to do like a 1d and d or something that's mm-hmm. what I've heard I, I and again I don't know i I have very, i talk to wizards maybe once a week I have a meeting but it's about something completely different it's with, with people who are doing uh something else with my products with me it's not a movie or TV show But, um, you know, I don't know if they're announced it yet, so I can't say. But I don't, you know, I don't really, I I haven't gone up there in a few years. I don't talk to the people behind the scenes. They don't ask my opinion about business decisions. Like, are they going to do a new game or whatever? In fact, when I picked up the player's handbook for fifth edition and I see Bob created this dwarf and it's Bruna, right? And Dritz is in there and all And they kept mentioning Bob, and they they thought it would be funny, but I didn't know I was in the book. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. I Uh, mean, I played Baldur's Gate when it first came out, the original Baldur's Gate. And I ran down by this wood, and there's this dark elf with scimitars killing gnolls. Help me kill these gnolls! I'm like, boy, this guy looks familiar.
0: Right. How about that, so I mean, obviously, I'm sure there is from you, but has there ever been like real significant interest where you thought you might actually get to do Drist on the small or the big screen? Did it ever get like close? Oh, sure,
1: before? it's. But it, there's been rumors flying since the late '90s, at least. Yeah, and um, I, I must have gotten a thousand, and I'm not even, I'm not even exaggerating, letters or or PMs or emails. I heard Wesley Snipes is playing Drist. <laughs>
0: never got that I, far i guess
1: yeah i i you know again when i was work when i was working on star wars don't you think i wanted to drop a copy of homeland on george lucas's desk yeah but i can't it's not it's it's their world and then we have our boundaries and they have their boundaries and i'm okay with that but i've there's been a couple of times where i thought it might happen and i you know i think if i think if it's going to happen it this is probably, I think, the closest we've ever been because they finally did a movie that worked.
0: Yeah, as I was gonna say, but the movie, hopefully, maybe that'll spring some interest. I mean, in they
1: general. didn't really do the first movies. It you know? wasn't really wizards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, that had a can't... contract, that said he could do them, so he did them. Wizards had very nothing to do.
0: Well, you have all these streaming services now that are just eating up ever since, you know, Game of Thrones. They, they're just fantasy eating up every series. fantasy series they can get their hands on. So, the I mean, I would think that
2: yeah.
0: with this movie being popular, maybe, you know, this might
1: be the best shot. So, uh, fingers crossed. Hey, you know what? If if they don't, they don't. If if if, if tomorrow they tell me where all the Dreads books are out of print, it's done. It's out. Over. My career's over. Everything's done. I walk away smiling. Hmm. This has been – I was working as, as a financial analyst.
0: That's kind of what I do in real life. So <laughs>
1: yeah. no, I had written this book. I, I wrote it longhand in a spiral notebook in 1982-83, a book called Echoes of the Fourth Magic. And I sent it out like a horrible rejection letter. And I was ready to quit. And I'm getting married. The kids are coming along, right? And uh, my sister's friend, like I'm in Massachusetts, lived in New York. And she was actually doing some nanny work with Mark Hamill, for Mark Hamill. So she, she, I had to, I had to hire my sister to type it because I couldn't type. Right. She's had one of the manuscripts that I paid a fortune to copy because photocopies were like 10 cents a page. You know, and that's, that was a lot of money in 1983 for me. Um, And she took the manuscript down and, and on Mark Hamill, this is what I've heard Mark Hamill's advice, gave it to someone that that he knew at an agency. A woman named Lulu Baskins who worked for the Peter Miller agency, and Lulu actually called me up, and this was in the probably '84, and I was I was ready to quit. Um, I was married, first kid was coming, I had started a new job. I had to I had to get a career going. We needed money. We were dirt poor, and Lulu just said, "You know, I, I understand why this book is not going to be accepted. It's not." And, and here's why. And she she, she really gave me a, a really hard-ass review on the book, but told me, don't quit because there's talent here. You, you've you got it, but you know you got to look at it a different way. And she gave me just, just little bits of advice, but really what she did, she told me, don't quit. So somebody in the business told me, don't quit. And I needed to hear that. So I was working 11 to 7, and I'd go into work, and I was really busy from 11 to like 1, and then I was busy from like, five in the morning to 10 because I'd have to work overtime pretty much every day. I was a payroll clerk at that time. But in between, i just write with the permission of the people that, where I was working. They said, go ahead, go take a nap. You should be taking a nap. It's 11 to 7 shift. And I'm like, no. And I just kept working on the book. Somebody had, you know, I I, I was mad because they told me I couldn't. Then someone said, yes, you can. And I was going to prove her right and them wrong. So I kept working on it. And then in 87, um, now I'm working at a company called Genrad. I'm, I'm a financial uh, specialist at the time, doing inventory for field service. Um, but I had the book where I said, "Okay, this is good. I'm going to make this book. I'm not. Th- this book is ready, or it's not. I, there's nothing more I can do to it." Now I'm just making changes for the sake of making changes. You know, six and one half a dozen of the other. So I sent it to a bunch of places. I got the Writers Market out of the library, and I was in there. And, I, and one of the places that was accepting manuscripts was was uh, TSR. So I sent it to TSR and I just sent it out and I just you know, to some other publishers and I just let, forgot it and went back to work. I had to build a career. And then I got a call and they asked me to audition to do the second Forgotten Realms novel. First, they asked if I could set that book in the realms, but we couldn't because that book started in our world and went to the future. Sure, The realms is not like that at all. So it would have been the rewrite would have been ridiculous. It wouldn't have worked. So they asked me to audition. So I auditioned and I submitted the, an outline for a book called The Tyrant of Icewind Dale, which became The Crystal Shard. And it was mid-July 1987. I got a phone call. July 11th. I remember it like it was yesterday. And it's Mary Kirchhoff. She says, I have good news and I have bad news. Said, the good news is you won the audition. You're going to be the second Realms writer. You're gonna, your book will be out as the second Forgotten Realms book. I'm like, well, what could possibly be the bad news? <laughs> well, I mean, think they weren't paying anything. I mean, it was peanuts. I wasn't going to be able to quit my job or anything like that. She said, that I need the book October 1st. Whoa. All right.
2: July 11.
1: Now, I've got a three-year-old, a two-year-old. My wife is seven months pregnant. I got to sell my car and get a new car because you can't put three car seats in the back of a Mustang GT. Mm-hmm. And I needed a new apartment. because It just wasn't big enough. So I said, no problem. <laughs> and sure as that, I turned the book in October 1st. And the book came out in February of '88. And they did really well. It That's like number good. two on the Waldens and B Bar- and Dalton's list. Got some really great reviews. And um, that was Crystal Sherry. And they said, you know, don't quit your day job, but we want you to do another book. And again, they're not paying much. A couple thousand bucks and a handshake. And peanuts royalties. So Icewind Dale wasn't supposed to be a trilogy originally? No, no. I just threw the hook in at the end because I kind of liked it and wanted another one. Yeah. so when trary showed up and bruna said hey Alf, i fooled you we're going to find my house you know and um then they, they signed me up to do streams of silver and so i did streams of silver and then they made a mistake because then they advertised the third. that book hit number one at walden's and b dalton's and was selling really well and they made a mistake because they advertised the third book by me before they signed me up oh. for the contract <laughs> so i got a nice raise I got the first two books percentage inched up on the royalties, right? And I did The Halfling's gem, And that came out in 1990, came out in February. And, you know, a couple months later, I got a check that was like my annual income. And I was like, whoa. And then Mary called me up. They had told me when I wrote The Halfling's gem that was it. People are done with these characters. Tie it all up in the epilogue. And then Mary calls me. and she said, "Bob, we're getting too many letters about this guy. People want to know where he comes from. We want you to do a trilogy. And maybe it's time to start thinking about quitting your day job." Wow! So you don't have
0: that story of getting like 900 rejection letters, like I like I usually hear
1: about. No, I had I got like four. All right. With the first book, and then I, I, and it was, and let me tell you something. That's not because I'm Superman or anything like that. Sure. Anybody who's successful that tells you it's because I'm really great and you're not is is trying to convince themselves sure. because there has to be a it, – it's talent, it's working your ass off, and it's luck. And that third part is critical. And I don't care who you are, that that is a huge part of it. Either you're born as a trust fund kid who can sit around and write as a hobby, right, that's how it used to be, right? A lot of the writers were fairly wealthy, or they were college professors or whatever. And they but for me, if I if I had sent that book in The Echoes of the Fourth Magic to TSR three months earlier, they weren't looking for a second Forgotten Realms book at that time. They were still trying to sort out Dark Walker on Munchay, which was Doug Niles' book, the first book. And they weren't sure when the second book Doug was going to write the second book in that trilogy. And then so they wouldn't have, I would have just died in the slush pile. They probably weren't even looking at a slush pile at that time because most of the people writing for TSR worked at TSR. Margaret, Tracy, Troy Denning, Doug Niles, they all worked up there. And if I had sent that book in three months later, now they had the pre orders for Doug's book and everybody up there knew these were going to be big.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I would have been competing against people known quantities with immense talent like Troy Denning. Right. So I probably wouldn't have gotten the gig then. And if I didn't get the gig then at the time I did, I was done because I just, I had two kids and the third kid coming and that was it. I had to, I was, I was working my way up the ranks in in a, in a company. And I was at managerial level now and I was working for the controller of the company and working my butt off, trying to build a career in that I could support my family. You know, my wife and I were both trying to, get jobs to support the family correctly. I wanted my kids to have opportunities. So three months earlier, three months later, and I'd probably be retiring from some high tech company at this point, a (laughs) manager or something.
0: Uh, To to play off that, Matt wants to know, uh, what does an audition uh, entail for an author?
1: Uh, With Wizards of the Coast, I had to, I'm TSR, call it Wizards, with TSR, I had to write a synopsis uh, I think I had to do a description of the main characters and it was Wolfgar, it wasn't Dritz and I had to do a sample chapter and I had Wolfgar and I, and when I wrote the audition I thought the Forgotten Realms were the Moonshade Isles Doug's book
2: hmm.
1: um, and they're, they're like you know these tiny little islands dominated by his characters so I thought they were going to do like Dragonlance again where the characters were going to continue through the stories and I didn't realize there was this whole vast Forgotten Realms world out there. So, I had Wolfgar and Dareth, the Shite from Doug's book. He was introducing my hero. Dareth and the Moorhound, uh, Canthus the Moorhound, were fighting against uh, Gion- Furbolds instead of Verbig, because on the Moonshade, the Furbolgs were the bad giants um in a in a chapter called big Rin's lair that was the sample chapter that i did and then they said oh no 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 we don't want you to use doug's characters we want you to set it somewhere else and i'm like when the water you know the map for the book was just the islands right I'm like oh no we didn't send you ed's, ed's maps and then we found i found this vast world up there and so we we found a new place in it and that's how Dritz was born. You know the story of how Dritz was born. I was, it, I've it, heard it.
0: the story that that was kind of like they asked you to something. You just cut, came up with the, off the fly. Is that true? Yeah, I was at
1: work. I was doing. I was getting ready for month end in, in July. And Mary Kirchhoff called. She says, uh, Bob, I got to go to a meeting to the sales force and sell your book. This is really important for us getting the orders. You know, you, you can't use Dara. I know I'm not going to use Dara. She goes, no, but I need a sidekick for Wolfgar. I said, all right, I'll get back to you next week. She said, no, you understand. I, I got to get to this meeting. And i'm going to need this character and i don't have a week And so i looked at the clock i said All right, i won't take lunch i'll come up with something and i'll call you back She said, no you don't understand i'm standing across the hall <laughs> and they're sitting in there and they're like come on um and so off the top of my head i said a, a dark elf and there was a long pause and, and there was like a drow and i'm like yeah drow and now now the wheel starts spinning and I'm thinking Fat and Grey Mouser. And I'm thinking, you know, all the things, all those, all those little tidbits that you want to write about that you think would be fun. And I'm like, yeah, draw. Now it's yeah, and draw. they they can fight with two hands. so draw ranger. I the draw ranger, because in one of the in the edition of D and D, Rangers were able to fight with two weapons. So I'm thinking mm-hmm. drow would be perfect. So I said, Draw ranger. Nobody's done that before. And Mary's like, Bob. It's probably a reason nobody's done that before. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, it'll work. A drown ranger. And she's gotta she get. I can see she get frustrated. She's gotta get to this meeting, right? And she finally she goes, All right, since it's a sidekick character, I'm gonna let you get away with it. What's his name? And off the top of my head, I said Dritz the and of Darman the de Shazbanon, the ninth house of Menzo Baron Zahn. And she said, Why does I have no clue? She said, Can you spell it? I said, Not a freaking chance. So you came up with that on the fly? That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I never played him in a game. We didn't even use drown in that game that's uh, certainly not as player characters. But then I started writing the book once I won the audition. And the the first scene I was writing at that point uh, before I went with Regis at Mir de Weldon was Dritz running across the tundra when he gets jumped by the Yetis. And I was on page like two and I said, no, this isn't Wolfgang's book. This is his book. Because now I started thinking about all the things I wanted to say in the book that I could say through him that I couldn't say through other people in the book. Okay. And he just became so real to me.
0: Yeah, a lot of people told me that, like, that was never, he was never planned to be like the main character. And like, I read, I read The Dark Elf trilogy first. So I was like, I don't see how we could not have started here. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. well, yeah, no, because, you know, one thing that I wanted, when I'm writing my books, I try to do it on several different levels. Okay. If, if you're just going to read the books and have a, a you know, a three hour blast through a book and have fun with a romp and great. I'm your guy. I love battle scenes. I was a bouncer. I played hockey. I know how to fight. I know how to write a battle scene. It works. I don't know why it works, but it works, because I'm not a sword fighter, but it works. Um, that's great. If people just want to read the books and say, I don't have to think about anything, I'm just having fun, that's great. But I always want to have other levels for people. Um, and with Dritz, I really got... I I ask my characters the questions that I can't figure out like there are so many things i look at the world and i see so many things just make no sense to me absolutely no sense in the way we structured this entire world and these societies and business and you know the haves and the have-nots and all the rest of it and one thing that you know two things that i think really stand out to me as someone with five older sisters who started telling me their horror stories about work and college and what their, their expectations were on them because these now i i was born in 59 my my oldest sister was born world war ii right so that's a different generation but when they tell me the stories that they had to go through uh to to you know keep a job the shit they had to put up with excuse my french I don't like that Hmm. at all. And not just because it's my sisters. I think it's just stupid. And the thing I've always thought was incredibly stupid, probably the stupidest thing people have ever come up with other than war itself, is racism. And I always wondered, and I think everybody feels this to some extent, to be judged before you open your mouth. Somebody's already got a preconceived notion of you. It's horrible to Mm -hmm. me. And I, I wanted to see the world that way with Dreads. And, you know, to me, if I can't do these things, like The Dao of Drifts, if I can't do these essays, I'd still be a writer. And I'd still write, you know, action scenes and just have fun with it, right? Maybe I'd be a choreographer in movies, right? <laughs> I could do that because I can could, I could, I could watch Crouching Tiger every, every hour. Yeah? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but... So I try to get all the different layers in there. Like one thing I've been doing with all the newer books in Dritz is I've been because I see it growing around the around the globe is the rise of authoritarianism again, which scares the hell out of me, by the way. As a as a small D American who believes in the voice of the people above all else, watching people get led down a rabbit hole one handful at a time is terrifying authoritarianism right and and um you know i can i can explore that with loath and the drought in the newer books so th- i always try to get those things in there to some extent because i want there to be a reason i'm writing a- as opposed to just entertaining which i think is fine i have nothing nothing wrong with just people pick up a book and they have a good time with it that that that's you know how can you not be happy with that mm-hmm. But I try to I try to put the other things layer. And it, and that's how I make sense of the world. I do that for me more than for the reader because I ask my I ask my characters tough questions and I make them answer. Them.
0: Yeah, I always love those the I guess you call them the journal entries and, and the ones I've read. So that's why I thought that Dallas was was a great idea. Uh, I do all I-
1: the journal entries from Homeland to Lil's War.
0: Yeah, so I'm like, I think I should probably wait, obviously, until I've read further in the series. Because he does always kind of, you know, wrap what's going on in the story. But it is a... a
1: oh, no, I wrote these because I knew they were going in there. I wrote those. They're not going to give you anything. Like okay. Okay. Great.
0: Okay. okay. It's great. Because I, I, I do love those sections. I think they... Have to...
1: That book was more for the... You know, I, I get I get thousands of letters, emails over the years. It's been a lot of years. And there are people who just love the journal entries. Yeah. And there are people that hate them. So that book's for the people who love them and want to have them all in one place with a cool cover.
2: You know, it it reminded me of forever.
1: And now is the time
0: uh, I grew up. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was just like the coolest cartoon in the world when I was a kid. And he Man always had like those little like, you know, the more, you know, kind of thing at the end of each episode. That's what it made me think of. And I was like, I that was important. Someone was growing up in a divorced family, that message was very important to me. So Mm -hmm. I, I I love those sections. I think they're grounds. Well, I mean,
1: did you read the Evan Winters forward to the Dow of Drift? I haven't. Yeah. Read it. Read the forward. Okay. Trust me. All right. I'll do that as soon as we hang up. Um, But um, yeah.
0: I've gotten a lot of questions about kingdoms of Amular, the video guy. Uh, Yeah. Apparently Making bonus content. People want to know if you're involved. No. No, you're done.
1: <laughs> they called me when they bought it. <sighs> a group of guys from 38 Studios, including me, because they asked me if I'd be a part of it. And I said, yes, we're trying to buy that IP back from Rhode Island. And Rhode Island stonewalled us and then wound up selling it to THQ for a lot less money than we would have paid for it. So I had real sore spot on that. Because mm. we would have loved to get that back. The MMO that we were writing for that world was gonna be fabulous. It really was. And I'm not just blowing smoke. The team they had working on that was just spectacular. Um, But um, Kingdoms of Amalo was actually done by Big Huge Games. We had bought Big Huge Games when THQ, a different THQ, had dumped them. And um, I think it was a different THQ. This is THQ Nordic that's got it now. But maybe they bought THQ. I don't know. Or THQ bought Nordic. I don't know how it goes. I'm not really clued into that. But anyway, we bought big, huge games, and the team down there was amazing. And they they were making their own game, but we bought them, and, and then um, EA came in and financed the game, and they had to make it. They had to make it in deadlines and under budget, period. And they knocked it out of the park. So my role in that was when they was to help them, me and Steve Denuser, who now is uh, working over at Warcraft again, he was on EverQuest, now he's working at Warcraft. And Mike Ledger, who's on Diablo now, Mike Ledger was one of my DD guys who went to 38 Studios with me. And now he's one of the big Diablo guys over at Blizzard. And Stephen, Mike, and I, we had to help them come up with a story that made sense for our world. The world we had created for the MMO had a ten thousand year history, like the hidden history of the world. And it was it was incredible. Um and and so they wrote it and then they came to me with the different quest lines and i would help them bring it a little more into the world just just a, like a one editing session it wasn't a big deal but um the team from the team from bhg really with what, what they had to deal with to put that game out i'm i'm in awe of how good a game it was um and and then someone i just saw someone said the timing wasn't good no because it came out right with skyrim like was the third or fourth. That's gonna right. gonna bring up the, I
0: that I had planned on playing, I bought both of them. Kingdoms Amular is still in the wrapper.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> that, it, that's Skyrim. I mean, right you that you were going against you were going against it'd be like it'd be like putting out a fantasy movie and releasing it next to Jackson's original yeah. uh Tolkien movies, right? Um, but we the game has had legs, it's still selling like crazy from they remastered I it, I think, and re-released it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they they remastered it, re-released it, they're adding content. They haven't contacted me um I, I initially they did then i just didn't hear from them I'm like God, i don't know i don't know but, but that's okay because they own it and um it's a great world and and i'm glad it's still out there and people having fun with it because a lot of people put a lot of blood sweat and tears into that world
0: okay i got a couple more DD ones before we get into uh, all drifts all the time here uh, would you ever consider writing in another D&D world such as more Dragonlance? I believe you did some novellas for Dragonlance. Did you not? No, nope, sure I did story. nothing
1: for Dragonlance. didn't? Okay. Margaret Weiss and Tracy. Tracy Margaret and Tracy are two of my dearest friends in the world. Tracy's my brother from another mother. We He'll call me. Whenever he has something really bad going on with him, or I have something really bad going on with me, one of the first people we call is each other. Uh, I love the man dearly. And Margaret's who I want to be when I grow up. She's a, <laughs> she's a genuinely decent human being to... You can't not like Margaret Weiss. She's just a wonderful person through and through. Humble, hardworking, kind, wonderful. And they said, Bob, come do some Dragonlance when the Dritz books were doing so well. And but Tiet Mary said no. And they had made a decision that they were trying to keep the two worlds as separate as they could yeah. with the authors and the styles. So, and there, was, there were some exceptions because like Doug Niles did books in both worlds. I think um, uh, Jeff Grubb, I think, did books, in, did books in both worlds as well. There were a few people that worked up there. Um, but um, no, so I didn't get the chance to win it. But we did do, Margaret and I did a collaboration at Gen Con once because we had both written novellas for a book called Dragons, Worlds of Fire. And I had written a story, a dread story. And she had written a Raceland story, and somebody brought the book for her to sign it, and she started making these really cracks about dressed. And when she signed it, because she knew he was coming to see me next, and so then I got it and I started insulting Raceland back. <laughs> and this guy's book is full of a back and forth from me and Margaret going after the other one's characters. It's pretty cool. No, it was pretty cool.
0: Uh, and someone wants you to tell me the waba waba d d story
1: oh waba waba yeah well it's online for anyone that wants to see it it's it's my it's my d d game um okay. we were playing uh and mike ledger was running the guy guy i just mentioned who's working over at Diablo now for Blizzard. he um he was running a campaign it was a ravenloft campaign whatever mike's running a campaign you know you're gonna to get a wand of wonder right mm-hmm. Now, you don't know D&D, but the Wanda Wonder basically, whenever you use it, and his command word was always Wubba Wubba. Whenever you use it, you say Wubba Wubba, and then you roll percentage dice, and all kinds of things can happen. And in the D&D book, they had like 100 different things, one to 100. But then they expanded it, and there were like 10 different tables you could use, and all these supplements that came out from other companies as well. So Mike had all of those, because Wanda Wonder was his thing. And so i was playing a psionist a little halfling i was playing all of the burrows but i made so he's this annoying little rat and i got i won the wand and so and every time i used it my buddy tommy um a longtime guy in our group was playing this paladin he's big strong armored and tommy's tommy was a prison guard gigantic guy big strong tough guy but every time i used the wand tommy got smashed He'd go running with his sword, right? He's, I will vanquish you. And I throw the one to one, and a lightning bolt grounds on his sword and leaves him fried on the floor, right? Something like that. Every time we've got dragons coming at us at the on the edge of a cliff and dragons flying at us, and I go wobble wubber and the wind comes up behind us and blows Tommy off the cliff. <laughs> every we're running away from giants and I go wobble wubber and Tommy's feet grew big and he fell down, and giants stomped him. Every time I used it, this was going on for weeks. Every every session, every time I used it tommy and it was it was all in the open this was just fate tommy was going to get absolutely crushed by this one no matter what happened it was always going to be Tommy. so we come to this point in the in the world where this football field-sized piece of the world gets thrown into another plane of existence and it's just a field and there's like five of us or six of us and we're standing in the field and we're in another dimension and we've well okay now what are we going to farm and try to live here there's no monsters to fight there's no treasure there's no kingdom to save. we're in this we're in a football field or whatever it is right we're in this meadow and that's all there is there's nowhere else to go and so but we had a wizard who could teleport but we have one too many people one too many living people to teleport So, but we had a rod of resurrection. So if somebody died, we could bring them back. And we had a bag of holding so we could put the person in the bag of holding and teleport out with the body, right? So somebody has to die, basically. And so we all drew straws and I got the short straw. And Mike goes, okay, so Oliver's dead and you guys am." old. that's No, 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 no. If I'm dying, I'm doing it my way. And so I put everything on the ground. I took off all my beautiful gear and everything. And I used my psionics to go right up to the top, like 500 feet in the air. And I was just hanging in the air with my psionic powers until they wore out. And then I was just going to do this beautiful swan dive. And so Mike goes, okay, Bobby. Oliver puts his stuff down. He goes up. He falls. He dies. You guys are going back. And and, and Tommy's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. (laughs) And so I'm up and hanging up in the air and Tommy picks up his pencil and he goes, I'm taking the wand. And I stop falling and Tommy says, you little rat. And he goes, (laughs) wubba wubba. And he rolls the dice and it comes up, caster and target change places. Wow. Think about it. Come on. That's a good joke.
0: No, And it's a true story. I just wish I'd ever gotten into DD that deep. I'm
1: falling 500 feet caster and target change yeah. places the one got them again hmm. oh
0: i see okay all right now i mean to, to see like how much you guys are going through all the different I, like for me it's just like uh um, everybody I who plays D got
1: that yeah
2: <laughs>
1: somebody type in you got that
0: yeah. uh, I, I got someone asking if that's an acid trip so there we go
1: <laughs> if that's an acid trip well it kind of was
0: all right so legend of driss here uh 13 wow. series 30 or we've talked about more than 39 novels. Look after the first few couple series were popular. Did you, even in your wildest imaginations, imagine that this would have this long of a shelf life. I and mean, we're going on 40 years now. I mean, that's, that's amazing,
2: right? I don't.
1: I just wanted my name on the book. Hmm? No, I, I had no idea. I had no idea I was going to quit my job. I had no idea I was going to become a writer. I had, you know, full time. I had no idea that I was going to continue with the There have been several times in this series where I was sure it was over. Thank you, Pyrac. See, see the D and Everybody
2: still... got it. Everybody.
1: Yeah, it's the critics. The critics are humorless. Can we? Right, right. <laughs> um, the. uh awesome my three. Oh yeah, there was several times through the series I thought that was over. Halflings gem. They told me it was over we'll tie it up right That's with that ending no
0: way come on
1: Kathleen's gym they yeah. made me they made me retake mithril hall in the epilogue
0: of that book yeah, but, but 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 Regis showing up again you know
1: oh yeah I'm I'm just here to hang out guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah but that was they they we they thought it was done I thought it was done. Okay. and they were gonna they were gonna offer me more books if I wanted them but they wanted new characters going a different direction right that type of thing which is why after dark elf we went to the Clara quintet and we thought I thought Dritz was done after Dark Elf with those six books, and then Walden Books uh, told TSR we want a hardcover. It'll be TSR's first hardcover. It's got to be Dark Elf and it's got to be Salvatore. And so they called me up, and, they, and they, I, I got another I got a call from Mary. Another one of those. I got good news and bad news, and I'm like, Well, what's the good news? Right now I'm re- I'm out of work. Now I'm working furiously trying to trying to make a living as a writer now. No, i'm paying my own insurance all of a sudden and all of that i'm not i don't have all the benefits anymore and she says uh well and she told me you're going to be a hardcover author and she told me about walden said now hardcover is huge for a writer financially at at that time particularly because you get paid a higher percentage on a higher much higher cover price
2: right
1: right uh like a much higher percentage on a much higher cover price and that's how you make your money so that's like, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to get a breather. I you know, what could possibly be the bad news? She said I need it in six weeks. So I wrote the legacy in six weeks. Essentially. Wow. From okay. a cold start.
0: Right, that's my next one up. And I'm excited to see a confrontation yeah. with a certain spider. And, and so I
1: thought it was done then. That's the second time in the first four years or five years. I thought it was done again. And then halfway through that series, a new editor came in at, at TSR, and and he um, he's a guy. He had actually signed me to do three books with Warner. That was my Crimson Shadow books with Oliver DeBarros that I was talking about. And I was coming up for a new contract. I was working on the third. I was finishing up the third book or the or the, starting on the fourth book of the quartet. And I had also done the Five Cleric books at the same time. And now I got to go write the books for Warner that he had signed me up for. He's up at TSR, and he and He says, uh, and I thought it was going to be easy because I wasn't asking for any more money or anything. These books had done incredibly well. I had never anticipated anything like this. And they were really good about paying every quarter. And they weren't holding a ton of money back. And I was just saying, we're just going to keep Dritz going. I mean, why wouldn't we? This is great. And But then he wanted me to do the cleric books, uh, to pick up a new paperback series to replace the cleric books as well. And I said, I can't do that. I got to do the books in New York. And I, and I had been on a breakneck pace. And we had a big falling out. I mean, it got nasty, really nasty. I genuinely did not like him and he genuinely did not like me. And that doesn't happen much in my life, but it happened. And I and so I I was quitting the company and I was cold quitting the company. I was finishing that fourth book and that was it. I was done. And he said, well, if you don't do it, then we're going to get someone else to write Trist. And I said, well, you know, I can't stop you from doing it. It's work for hire. I've got my contracts, but I'm going to tell you that, you know, think long term, because if you ever want me back again to write Dritz and somebody else has written a book featuring Dritz as the main character, I won't come back and write Dritz. Hmm. He's dead to me at that point. I'll go on with something different, maybe, but I won't come back to that character. So that was that. So I thought it was over then. That was 95, I think, or 94. I thought it was over again. And that's when Del Rey called me up and said, you know, come in and do, we're going to give you as long as you want to write the best book you can write, which was a breath of fresh air to me. I had done 10 Dritz books, finished the Echoes of the Fourth Magic series. That's three books. I did the Spearwielder's Tales. That's three books. And I had done the uh, Crimson Shadow. That's three books. So what's that? That's uh, nine and 19 books or, or, oh, and the five cleric books. I did like 24 books in like, seven years eight years well the first one was already written so 23 books and I was just burned out there was no way I was going to be able to do three books a year so I just walked away and we were getting ready to sell a house because you know you're not going to be able to afford the house if you don't have income and I hadn't made you know you 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 don't become independently wealthy as an author that's that's one of the big misconceptions about the world um, you can get there and it takes years and years and years and years and years of backlist books and, and, or the big blowout all at once that's happened with a couple of people I know, but it, it it's, that's not the norm. And so I thought it was over again. And then Wizards bought TSR out of bankruptcy and Peter Atkinson called me up and he said, um, you know bob we've got margaret and tracy back and we think dragon lance is healthy with margaret and tracy and we got Ed greenwood back and we want you back because we think the realms are healthy with you too. and i said no i won't come back and i'm sorry because the guy was still working there i said you're going to want me to work with so and so and i don't want to work with him and he doesn't want to work with me and neither one of us trusts each other and we're just not going to do it and plus you've got a book coming out with dritz and you want me back to write Dritz, and i won't come back and write Dritz. and then so I thought it was over, and we parted ways. He sent me the money they owed me. I had a lawsuit going against them. They owed me a fortune from the last hardcover. And um, I was working with Del Rey, and I was perfectly content. And then just a couple of months later, I got a call from, and, from Peter, and he said, Bob, um, so-and-so's out. Mary Kirchhoff came back in. The Dritz book was killed, and, and we want you back. So did I thought it was over. Did you ever get to see what that person had written with Drews? No. Would you? No, know they want to know. They never let me know, and I don't want to know. And yeah. it's um, you know, it, it's if they wanted to put different names in it and put it out there, I wouldn't have cared. But I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. They um, had gotten. They had gotten a ton of mail saying, "Don't you know." Uh, how dare you write, tricks yeah? For no, that would feel like, and a, they had asked by the way, they had asked a lot of my friends. They asked Elaine Cunningham to do it, and she said, No chance. They asked Troy Denning, he said, Not a chance. They yeah. asked Jeff Lowther, he said, Not a chance. Um, and because you know, we were a tight knit team, we were, we were all friends, we we were respecting each other. When Elaine Cunningham did her Daughter of the Drow, Starlight and Shadow series, she called me. And she said, what are you going to use in the future? They want me to do this. Is this okay with you? I said, I think it'd be great. You're fabulous. I love Elaine Cunningham's work. She's a wonderful writer. And she called me, and she was really respectful not to step on my toes. And then I returned the favor not to step on her toes as I went forward with my series after her books when I came back. And that, oh, that, was, all, that was all, you know, it, by the way, this is all in the, um, what's the name of the book? Slaying the Dragon, I think is the name of the book that came out. Um, about TSR and what happened to TSR. And this was a big part of it. No,
0: I would just feel like that was like someone else taking my kid to Disneyland or something and not inviting me. <laughs> if someone else is writing uh, my character, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, I do
1: the, I do the essays. It can't get more personal than that to me. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, I mean, and plus I admit, I give it, I told them flat out, if anyone else ever writes strips I won't do it again. And it, it was that simple. I, I wasn't changing my mind and I didn't feel the least bit bad about it. The other author never called me. He knew how I felt. Everyone knew. Um there was a war between me and that editor. Well it looks like so it worked out. And I gotta tell you, I've had most of the editors in New York. you know, I've had and I and I have had I have been incredibly fortunate to have some of the Best editors who have made me a better writer, made my books better. Starting with Mary Kirchhoff and Eric Severson at TSR, Jim Lowther at, at TSR, Aaron Evans uh, edited Gino's book that he that he did with me. Um, uh, Phil Athens for two decades was my editor, and I love the man to death. Um, and then over in Del Rey, Veronica Chapman, Shelley Shapiro, Betsy Mitchell's my editor again with Open Road. She's redoing the. Spearwielders books and and the crimson shadow books and i love betsy to death she's awesome these are these are top-notch people i'm working with david Rico. i worked with uh yeah, chris morgan over at, I, I have no complaints at all except that one right situation
0: no you have, you sound like you were keeping these editors busy if you're writing books in six weeks you know <laughs>
1: so i write clean drafts though i really do yeah There's are you a first draft, draft guy I I will get about 80% done with the book and then I'll start rewriting while I'm writing. So in the morning I'll do a chapter of a rewrite because I've added stuff and I don't want it to come out of nowhere. So I'll, like if I'm if I'm adding something, oh Jarl Axel's sword is this and he got it here. I'll go to the chapter where it's first going to be and I'll just write under the title of the chapter, Jarl Axel's sword is this. Make sure you talk about it. You know? So I'll i be by 80% done the book, so I'm here, right? I'm going down now, not up. So I'm 80% done. I'll do a chapter, and then I'll do a little writing in the afternoon. I'll do a chapter, and I'll do it all the way. And then if I time it right, I get to 100, 100 down the bottom. And then I go through the book again. And when I have never had a, I have never had an edit that's been more than two percent, one percent. Wow. Of a book.
0: I think it's safe to say you've you found your calling, sir. you you're pretty good at this at this point.
1: I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm <laughs> just having fun. That's I'm telling the stories that I would want to hear. And it works. And I don't know why it works. I'm just glad it works. Yeah.
0: This you one's going to be kind of out of order than what I plan to ask you. But since I'm seeing so much about it, I guess I got to ask you now. Where slash when should I read the Cleric Quintet? Should I be reading it before
1: I read Legacy? No. you. Sh- I would start probably in the middle of this series that you're reading now. Okay. Because near the end of the series, you will meet Catherly. And the Cleric Quintet's fun. I mean... It's it's it's. And, uh, and it's I want to read it to make sure I'm different. reading it in
0: right order. Yeah,
1: I have a see. Ed Greenwood and I fight all the time about the gods and the realms. Okay, Ed created the realms, and the gods. Their power comes from how many people worship them, and all this. And they kind of it's almost like they send travel brochures to the afterlife. Come with me, you'll be in the green fields of Elysium or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think of the gods in the realms as these meddling super beings. That are just playing playing little games with the human pawns. And not not as God, but as just like, you know, people with an ant farm and where are the ants. And so I was writing Claire Quintet and and what I realized, because I couldn't understand what was wrong with Catherly, the main character. Something was bugging him. And the, when the character's off-key to me, I don't change him. I try to find out what's wrong with him. And I realized about the third book that he was an agnostic. He thought he was just accessing the arcane magics, not some god named Denier. So he felt like a hypocrite. And it got into some really nice discussions with it, but the series is a romp. And, I mean, I've got Ivan and Pickle Boulder Shoulder. The dwarves are just – Pickle's like my favorite character, I think. Uh, one of my favorite characters to write is Pickle. And he's back in the new books, too, so that's kind of cool.
0: Well, I haven't gotten that one yet because those you know, I started collecting these and they all match, and then they stopped. Yeah, uh, with a, with the that. swords. I don't know if you have any control over that.
1: Are they planning to continue these matching? No, cards I have or no control over that. They have the first four series, so the first fourteen books in these wonderful twenty-fifth anniversary. Yeah. Editions, and they were supposed to do the whole thing. Um, it, it just keeps happening. Now I can tell you, they are recovering the Dritz books this year, all of them. Oh great, of course. Um, Now
0: that I've started collecting (laughs) Homeland
1: all the way to Loths Warrior in coordination with Harper. That they, you know, they're they're going back and forth with the covers. Watsy's always had last say on covers, so it'll be that style, and they're doing all the books one to thirty-nine, and they should be much easier to keep track of where you're supposed to be. Well, to
0: show you the frustrating thing about these as a collector is that some of them are book 10. And some are they're numbered uh, like numerically, and it's not focusing. But some of them are Roman numerals, and some of them are, are numeric digits. So probably different printings.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, uh,
0: yeah one's got really the dealing. logo. One's got the Wizards logo. So yeah.
1: Well, there you go. Because you have a different company yeah, coming great. in and redoing the books, and you know, they, and they don't print their own books because uh, those books are put out by Penguin Random House, not by Wizards. Yeah, the life of a collector. And they were put out by McMillan many years ago. Then it went to Penguin Random House went back to Macmillan. went back to Penguin Random House. So it's, you know, it's so many things. People people think it's smooth, it's not. And that includes the writing part as well, a lot of times. And that's not just with shared worlds, but shared worlds just makes it more complicated. Definitely. I can see that.
0: Uh I, I saw what someone ask it earlier if they want you to say these names. Um can you say the name of this certain uh, animal companion? Can so, you? Uh, I say Guinevar.
1: Yeah, that that's it? the Celtic spelling of Arthur's queen.
0: Yeah, Guinevere. Yeah, because people were telling uh, me it was pronounced Guinevere. I was like, mm, go with Guinevar.
1: <laughs> yeah, but did you ever read the the amazing Mary Stewart books? The Crystal Cave, the Hollow Hills, the, Whig- the last I read the Crystal and Cave and in
0: the- high school. Don't remember a ton, but that was the only okay. one that I read. But I did like it.
1: Yeah, Guinevar is Arthur's queen, and the name means shadow, which I thought was perfect for the Panther. Okay. And this was back in the early days of the rums when we get aware with things like that. They probably wouldn't allow that now that the IP has got its own style and everything, you know, because now they want names. But that's it just made sense to me back then, so I did it. Uh, speaking of bar, I feel like
0: people sold this series to me the wrong way. For years, it was always like, oh yeah, you gotta read their Dungeons and Dragons. You'll love it. And I was like, ah. If someone told me it has a dual-wielding dark elf with an animal companion that's a spectral panther, I'd be like, what? Hell yes! See, not, not right now, so one of our
1: what an amazing idea where did you come up with this idea well i have a couple of japanese chins now i had five cats we've always had i've always had pets in my life and i was a loner i was the youngest of seven and but my my family was so much better was so much older than me like my my closest sister was four years older than me but she skipped two grades or one grade so she we were barely in the same school for like one year and you know we only had one car. My dad took it to work, so I mean I was I was alone a lot when I was a kid. And I had my pet. I had I had Coco, my dog, and and Dusty, my cat. And I had then um, Yuma, my other dog. And and there's the Dritz journal entries. Are him talking to himself? He's not preaching to you. He's talking to himself. And. If you have a pet that's your best friend, that's a special thing. Mm-hmm. So I thought, Driss is going to be on the surface. I'm writing the crystal shard. Almost everybody he sees on site is going to want to kill him or turn him away. They're afraid of him. They don't want anything to do with him. And it's nothing to do with the content of his character. No, you drow, get out. Period. He's going to need something near him, or he's going to lose his mind. And who wouldn't want a six hundred pound panther to cry? Right, you know? right, right. I uh, say, when I was younger, I love
0: in the mountains. I loved the uh, Jungle Book when I was younger. I thought Bagheera was just like the coolest. So that's the first thing yeah. I think of. Like, oh, sweet, it's like a spectral Bagheera. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's just a, a great idea. I love the idea that, and with this way, oh, she takes enough damage. It is a she, right? Because
1: I've heard some people argue yes. about that. Well, what happened was. The confusion was actually again this is this is what you get into when you're when you're writing shared world and all of this they had a rule that there was no gender so I started with um she it's it's Arthur's queen it's right. it's, it's Guinevere and they said it has to be it no gender you, you can't you can't identify it because it's a magic item I said no Guinevere is much more than a magic item no, nope, can't do it. And so when they I had to change everything to it uh, or or you know to a non-descriptive, non-gender pronoun. Right. And but that didn't flow right. You know, you get used to hearing words, and when you say it said is not the same thing, or or it did this, or you know, when Dritz is talking to it instead of her, right. it has a different connotation a different feeling it, it makes you feel differently so there were parts where the book were a little bit was a little bit awkward and when the copy editor went in to get the book ready for publication they changed it to the male pronoun. ah okay in the That's... early editions of the Crystal Shark I think it's been switched but first impressions everything so people got in their head that Guinevere was actually wrote a short story about Guinevere, Guinevere is a she and always has been a she in my mind. It didn't come out that way in the first book, but, you know, these are the things you 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 learn to live with when well, you're writing I a lot
0: of books. My great fear always with fantasy and animal companions is that they can die. And so I love this idea of, oh, well, she just takes enough damage. She goes back to her realm. She heals and she comes back. So I, I was like, all right, this is this is my animal companion. I love it. So it maybe actually sad that I made a video right before I started reading this about, like, my 20 favorite animal companions that I read in books or whatever. And I swear to you, every other comment was what about going to I'm like, I don't know what that is.
1: <laughs> you know? So uh, <laughs> I would have to amend that list. Uh, actually, because You know, it's funny when I started writing, we were, we were that other publisher to the New York publishers. They really wouldn't give us the time of day until somebody hired Margaret and Tracy to go over there and they wrote New York times bestsellers in New York. And then they started saying, Hey, wait a minute um so a lot of people who came into science fiction fantasy through like the science fiction book club early on i'm talking early on early 90s late 80s or through locust magazine or they and and the books weren't even shelved with the other books in the stores they had their own Dragonland section forgot to run oops just wiped out my desk um <laughs> no um but they had their own section so they weren't even shelved with the other books so there's a large at, for a long time there was a large portion of the science fiction fantasy readership that had never looked at Dragonlance or Forgotten Realms. We were still selling huge numbers, but it, it just got bigger and bigger as those were the mouth that brought those people over because the industry was set up to keep us separate, if you see what I mean.
2: Okay.
0: So uh, uh, this is, this sounds interesting. Uh, Tell that me and my buddies tried to do the coin toss test that Drist does in the books. Yeah. We never got close to 10 at once. Have I got that far yet?
1: So it doesn't ring a bell. I've done 20. Okay. Yeah. It's in Homeland when they try to figure out, it's right at the beginning when they try to figure out, is he a wizard or is he a fighter? And he takes the coins and he stacks them and he just does and catches. them. Okay. I, I,
0: I think I'm remembering. <laughs> and then
1: Jack Pain says, ah, Malice, he's a fighter. Okay. Because a fighter, my New England game, because he, he can catch like tons
0: isn't still a fighter rogue that kills people for money
1: or did he? <laughs> you could not have been doing this for a long time when second edition d and d came out um this was after the mad about d and d mothers against d and all. oh satanic
0: god yep satanic
1: Panic in the 80s oh yeah oh yeah and um yeah mike ledger and his friends pulled a prank in the neighboring town that had the satanic expert in town telling everybody to keep their pets inside because there was a there was a satanic cult definitely they were just trying to scare jim Who's the, he's on my softball team. He's this guy that's still in my DD and d group. Um, but anyway, um, when second edition d came out, they got rid of the monk class. I don't know why. My favorite class. And they got rid of assassins. And they changed demons to demons. And they, 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 they were trying to kind of walk a stupid line, if you will, right? So, uh I got a call. I was writing, at this time, I was writing Homeland, I think. And and Jeff Grubb, who's now coordinating the realms, calls me up. And I love Jeff. And he says, uh, Bob, how are you going to kill Entreri? I said, Entreri? You know, Halfling's Gem is like 100 years after, or 200 years, I think it was 100 years that after the book I'm working on. Why would I kill Entreri? He's not even born yet. And he says, Oh no, no, we're gonna let you kill in Well, you know, I'm not gonna kill Intreries. People are liking this guy, and I'm not done with him. I'm starting to like this guy, trying to figure out who he is. And Jeff says, Well, you know, second edition, and there are no more assassins. So all the assassins are having their souls sucked up by the god. Is it Bane or Bao? I think it was Bane. I I don't know, too many gods. They're just super people anyway. And and <laughs> and he goes, so you know, and going to die because he's an assassin and he's, he's going to get he's going to get his soul sucked up to the gods. And and I'm like, well, I'm not killing Entreri. Well, we, we like him and we, you've done so much. You know, we, we think you've done so much in the realms. We're going to let you kill him. We're going to let you do it your way. It's like a chewy conversation all over again. Right. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to kill him. And I don't understand. That's stupid. Why are you going to kill Entreri? Well, then he's going through the whole thing. I said, so what? I don't care. You're not killing Entreri. We had this big back and forth. And I thought, Jeff, I don't understand why do you have to kill him? Because all the assassins are dead. And I showed it out on the phone. He's not an assassin. He's a fighter thief who takes money to kill people. <laughs> and Jeff goes, we can do that. Oh, okay. And then Trary survived.
0: Oh, man, I love Drey. I said that the comparison I made was like, what I love was the the, the the nemesis I felt like Driss needed at that point. You know, you have the, the drow with the human morals and the human with the drow morals. I thought it was and, a great contrast. And
1: Trary is who Drey's fears is who he would have become if he stayed if he had stayed yeah no that's great because in feels the same way about the surface world as is explored in the short stories and in the Cell Swords trilogy because of his childhood he feels the same way about the forgotten realm surface world as dritz felt about men's Baronside. okay
0: all right no, that's good that's good do you have Was there an influence for in Is that just completely like dritz where you just came up with that off the i just right off
1: the cuff. There's, there's no real influence for any character really? one-to-one okay. um you know the theme of buddy fantasy for gray mouser type of thing and you know you have the archetypes that are in the books that the, the the you know the big hearted dwarf and all that um but there's no like real world influence except for maybe catherly is a friend of mine um the guy named Mike Lavigier who was a dear friend of mine for many years and uh, before he moved back to Alaska and um Mike was like one of the smartest people I've ever met. We would do the Asimov challenges on our way to work. He was working at Genred with me. Um, and we would we would do the Asimov challenges. And he was just brilliant. Just brilliant. We, we'd have some of the most incredible discussions and arguments about the world. and um, But Mike got like straight Fs in high school. He just didn't care about it. He, he He didn't see any value. And he reminded me, if this is what I thought of Catherly. Who's, who's this powerful, growing powerful priest, but he doesn't even believe in the gods. So he feels like a hypocrite. Um, that's probably the closest I've come to somebody being someone. I would say a lot of the women in the books have qualities of my wife. Um, that's, you know, you. I have a certain feel, way I feel about heroes, if you will. Right. So that will echo what I believe in terms of who's a hero and who's not a hero. Um, but no, they, I don't, there's not like somebody I know that's in Trary.
2: So you're telling um, me it's a bad dude.
1: I, mean, I was a bouncer in a pretty tough club, and I met some pretty tough dudes. So you're but telling no. me
0: it's a me problem that I that I see, like a cooler Thorne Oakenshield when I read Bruner Battlehammer. You're telling no, it's a me problem.
1: No, no, he's definitely he's definitely that archetype. Okay. He's definitely so. I'm not saying no literary character influences in the sure. I mean, Wolfgar is right out of Beowulf, right? Sure. Um, and certainly the dwarves in 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 uh, Brunner certainly got Tolkien-esque influences all over the place.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so no, I'm not saying there's no literary influence. The tropes of the genre. Right? You know, when you're writing when you're writing a book, you have to make you have to make a decision about how much you want to shift how much you want to reinvent and how much you want to play along and what i mean by that is if i'm writing a fantasy book i'm asking people to suspend disbelief okay if you believe people can throw lightning bolts or there are dragons or, or demons walk the earth right Or faerun there's another world i'm asking you to suspend disbelief all of those things you're accepting there is magic there are dragons there are demons there are orcs there is this there is that right you're accepting those things that's your suspension of disbelief now i don't want to ask you to suspend disbelief further <laughs> if i can help it so when tolkien did it he's creating out of whole cloth i don't even know what his influences work because he was always very vague about that when in all the papers you read about him, but that is what people came to think of dwarves and elves that kind of stayed throughout the throughout the genre so if if, like for example when tolkien wrote smog he had to tell you what a dragon was when melville wrote moby dick most of the people who read moby dick had no idea what a whale whale was they didn't have aquariums they didn't have television right they didn't have they didn't have um you know drones flying over the ocean showing you a blue whale they didn't know what a whale looked like. How would you know what a whale looked like if you if you grew up in Iowa, in the 19th century, or in you know what I mean, how would you know? Even if you grew up on the coast, you would see a a tail maybe. You wouldn't know what was the rest of the animal looked like, except by sketches that people did. And they weren't they weren't like whale magazines and everybody's ha- and pictures hanging in everybody's house. So Melville had to go through great detail in Moby Dick to tell you all about this whale. And describe it and describe it and describe it kind of like Robert Jordan with a tree and describe <laughs> it. or echo in a door. Or what half the, of, the, of the one power it is. Yeah. And I don't want you to suspend this. That wasn't a dig against Jordan, by the way. I love his picks.
0: No, I love all the time.
1: Um but he is he really likes describing things.
2: Sure. Um,
1: just like Echo, who I love. Um, but that's not me. I don't write really like that. Um, but um I kind of wish I could, but I can't. Uh, So if I say dragon, instead of telling you exactly what the dragon looks like, because you know what it looks like. You've watched Dragon Slayer, right? You've read Tolkien. Now people have seen the movies. You know when I say dragon, that image is in your head. Now I can put a couple of particulars around the edge of that image. That image is in your head. It's probably on the cover of the book, right? (laughs) So instead of trying to tell you what the dragon looks like, I try to tell you what the people looking at the dragon dragon feel like. Holy crap. We're in trouble. Right. Right? I'd rather go that way. I don't have to describe the claws of the dragon. I don't have to describe, you know, its length or whatever. I say dragon, you see dragon. I can go into what they're feeling when they see dragon.
0: And I love that you do that because I can read one of these in a day or two, you know, <laughs> it's not like a, a Robert mm-hmm. Jordan book where it's like, "Wow, well, right, I need to take this month no, to read this book. Yeah.
2: You
1: can't believe how many dyslexic people have written to me to say they, they can read these books. They have to, I can't read anything, but I fly right through these books. And I think I'm a little dyslexic as well. My son, the one like class I couldn't do in college was a class called message design. where you had to, you had to, um, like, create an ad and with all the images and the whole thing is that i'm I'm probably going to get this wrong but your eye will start in the bottom left corner and travel up to the middle or whatever and and i'm like i couldn't do it i could 4-0 every class in college from physics to world lit to whatever psych to philosophy whatever i was following everything and i could not do this class and the guy, I was a communications major, and the, they only had like four professors or five professors in the department. So we all knew. And and Dave Ryder, who was my professor's boss, I what you know, you can't do this. So I said, I can't. He goes, well, just follow it. My eye doesn't move like that. And <laughs> what he figured out, or he thinks, and this was his theory, and I have no idea if he went any further with it. I throw my right hand, but I write with my left hand. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I this is my power hand this is my fine hand i eat left-handed i throw left hand uh right left-handed i throw right-handed i bat right-handed i hit hit a puck right handed and he said he was wondering if the relationship of the two sides of my brain which will also explain why i was a math major right math is my thing and yet here i am as an author how'd that happen um so I, I think i see things a little different you know a little differently and and maybe i am a little dyslexic i read incredibly slowly it's like you say, what are you reading now i'll probably tell you next year the same books i'm reading now <laughs> i'm an incredibly slow reader not my own books but when i'm reading another book my eye will get lost and then i got to start over again from the top of the page and it it drives me crazy um and the only time I couldn't do that was in college because I had to get the writing. I had to get the reading done. So I had to just fly through it. But other than that, I labor on books unless they hook me in like The Hobbit did. Right. Or um, Fritz Lager. Right. I've and gray mouse, so I couldn't put them down.
0: You know, they actually have this font on the Kindle now. Uh, yes. Dyslexic font. And my, my 10-year-old is dyslexic. And I was just showing him that because we we're reading Percy Jackson together. And I just showed him that font. And he's like, just he went right that's through the- it, didn't he? He was like, my eyes aren't running left to right like they usually do. And I was like, that's I incredible. saw
1: that there was a, there was a page out that somebody had posted on Facebook, taught, showing the font, and and I went, oh my god, yeah. And my wife looked at it and she's like, what? Oh, that's stupid. And I'm like, really? I just understood a hundred times more reading that same page in that font than I did trying to read it without that.
2: Oh, but no, we're I'd finding
1: out all these magnificent things about the differences in human beings and the way we see the world. And one thing I always thought about as a writer is my job isn't to give you answers and descriptions. My job is to fire your mind to fill in the blanks. I think it was C.S. Lewis actually you mentioned earlier who said that the the only one who can really determine the relationship between the reader and the book is the reader of the book. And I believe that the readers bring as much to the book as the authors put in books. I've always believed that. And I'm more convinced of it now when I talk to people who are reading my books and the things they're getting out of the books and they're accusing me of brilliance that isn't there. Um, It's them. They're bringing it in. So I always find my job is what can I do to hook that hidden corner of your brain to get you wanting to read this and wanting to put your thoughts in and project your feelings into the book and and I've, I've looked at it from that angle i'm a big marshall McLuhan guy i was a communications major and that's why i understand very well what's going on in the world today and scaring the crap out of me because people think they can't be snookered and they can and i'm going to leave it at that because i'm not going to get all political on you one way or the other here but it's it's it is very easy for people that know what they're doing to walk somebody down a rabbit hole and to actually change the way they think about the world and the way they see the world. And it's scary as hell. Um, but in the books, I try to do that just to get people, invite people into the fantasy.
2: Hmm.
1: Because I know they're the ones that are really filling the story out, not me. Right? They're the ones who have the image of Dritz in their head more than I do. They're the ones that know what Twinkle and Icing Death look like from my descriptions my vague descriptions and they know exactly what they're supposed to look like i don't they're the ones that know how to pronounce drizz or drizzet i don't they're the ones that know if if you know what guinevere really looks like i don't if that makes sense because i do but that's for me what what you get out of it is for you
0: I'm glad to hear that because I say Driss different every time I say it.
1: <laughs> well, I was like, people would always ask me for a definitive pronunciation and I wouldn't. And they'd say, well, why not? i say, because I'm picturing these two kids in high school saying, it's Driss, it's Driss, it's Driss, it's Driss, it's Driss. third kid walks up and says, what are you talking about? You never read this guy? And I win. <laughs> there oh, there's a marketing guy. Come on,
0: <laughs> I got one last uh, Driss question here. Uh, settle this debate. No. Should noobs... To the series, should they read Dark Elf or Icewind Dale first? Do you care? Um, you know,
1: it de- depends what the meaning of the word is. Is no, it's it's. <laughs> it depends on who they, are, what their background is in the reading. If it's yeah. somebody who can handle like fantastical, I always love Homeland. I think Homeland, sure. the, Homeland, the Companions, and the newer books are my favorite books in the series. Um, I always like Homeland and Exile and Sojourn as a start, but if it's somebody who's not sure about elves and dwarves and all these other things, Icewind Dale is more relatable, I think. You know, I mean, if you've watched The Sopranos, you can probably get Men's or Barons on. I think so. Because yeah, when really, they told me to great. create Men's or Baron's on they told you know they said you know we want you to tell where dritz came from and i said well i've got the old modules but they're vague they don't really give a lot the old Gygax modules and i've got the entry the two-page entry in the fiend folio what else you got they said that's it and i said well what are you telling me and i said carte blanche you're creating the draw in the forgotten realms and so i pulled out my copy of um the godfather who's those the godfather and i and i i based menzo Beranzan on on the five families in new york no kidding ah. no kidding i'm an italian kid from the northeast right I read Godfather.
0: Like that's one of my favorite movies ever. I read the book for the first time last year. Who knew? It's an amazing book. You know, <laughs> imagine that. That's
1: one of the books I could read and not put down. It's amazing. And the so, movie's pretty amazing too. But oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah,
0: one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, so I don't know anything about it, and I don't know exactly what they want me to ask you before I let you go. They want everybody just keeps telling me, ask about Corona, ask about Demon Wars. So yeah. I'm asking about it.
1: All right. Uh, Demon Wars. See this painting behind me? Uh It was done by Keith Parkinson for the fourth book in Demon Wars called Mortalis, which I think is the best book I've ever written. And Demon Wars... You know, I I was working in somebody else's somebody else's playground. The realms. Ed and all the people at TSR. I, I had my own idea for a fantasy world. And... I wanted it to be based on, I wanted the magic based on gemstones and minerals. Like, you know, that's nothing that I came up with. I mean, that's, you still have crystal shops all over the place, right? I mean, so, you know, the, the different gemstones have re- reputed magical properties. This, this goes through history in the in humankind. So I came up with this idea of, okay, if, if gemstone magic is the center of this universe if, if this is the the real power in the universe who's got how do they get them and something they have minds is it like blood diamond, right is it that type of a setup and I came up with a world called Corona and it's called that because it has a, it has an as a ring right and you can see it from certain vantage points certain times kind of like the aurora Borealis in our world but it's 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 equatorial and it's got all the different. It's it's a ring of stones, uh, rubies, hematite, magnetite, and diamonds, and all of this. And every so often, several generations, these stones will the planets will align, and the ring will shed stones. They will fall into the sea, in this island called Pimeniniquet, in the Marianic Ocean, that was found by this monk in ancient times, and the monk. Uh, uh, he wasn't a monk then, but he was just, he was kind of an outcast named Abel. He was able to take these gemstones, and they had magic properties when they land. They, they're they all magical. And he could, he could do all the... He felt the affinity to these stones, and he could do all these things. And he and the other people that were there, they figured out how to make the magic last, because they saw that some of the stones were losing their magic. And they figured out how to do it. And so they this became the basis of the church the abelican church and the abelican church in this book i mentioned the brother echo earlier have you read name of the rose i have not have you seen the movie or the tv show? there's a movie sean Connery would be watched it's fabulous the name of the rose is about the great schism in the catholic church the franciscan benedictine fight that was about money right you had one section sector saying we keep all the money, and we build these grand cathedrals, the glory of God, and the people will fall on their knees before the beauty of God. we built these great cathedrals. And the other one's saying, no, we live like Jesus. We live poor. We we help the people. We don't let them starve. We feed them. We." And there was a big fight in the Catholic Church, the schism in the church, where they had two popes half the time, and wars were fought over it. Um, you know, the whole Venice thing, right, was— I mean, uh, the whole Florence thing, I mean, was all about, was all about that. And, and I'm, I grew up Catholic and the name of the rose is brilliant when it portrays that. And so in my book, you have this world and it's, it's a kingdom of haunts. Haunts the bear, as we learned in the, in the prequel trilogy, how it became that, but it's a, it's a medieval kingdom. And the monks, the abelican church, are the power. They have the gemstones. Now they can put these stones into items that people who don't know how to use the stones, they can make your sword better, right? Um, and they they sell sell them to the nobles because there's a lot of corruption, a lot of that going on, as there would be. Power corrupts. And so in the world, the question is asked, because it's called demon wars, are the are the demons. Like Bestus bar in the first book, and then the newest books, uh, the Fossa and and Scathmazane for the Jokanite that come from the West, and the newest books. And are the demons these great beings of evil that corrupt men, or are the demons the manifestation of the evil that's in men's hearts? Sure. That's yeah. the whole argument, the whole philosophical argument behind demon wars. And so I wrote these seven books. And it was it was supposed to be six, but I realized they needed a bridge. And the first book is the hero's journey of Elbrian and Avelin and Giuseppe and Jilly and the later book Pony. They call her Pony. And battling the return of the demon and the demon's hordes, uh, the goblins, the evil giants. These are these are demonic creatures. They're not other races, they're demonic-created creatures of destruction. And I've got elves, but they're a little different and they're kind of tucked away and they're kind of a side story to the main story in the books. It's a very human-centered world. Very human-centered, like, but there are different types of people, as we see as we go forward. You have the barbarians in the north, the Alpinadorans. you have the baronese who live south of the Belt and Buckle Mountains in the desert kingdom of of, of, of Baron, the kingdom of, of Bear. And they're 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 like more of a Middle Eastern. Flavor, you know, because I always think that geography plays a, plays a huge part in culture. And geography plays a huge part in the way societies develop. Like you have the people on the high steps who are the riders, right? So there's a lot of mirrors going around in the world that, that people will recognize. But not quite because it's a fantasy world. It's not our world. But it even looks like our world. It looks like the East Coast of Canada on purpose, I might add. Okay. So. You've got this first three books of the conflict, the hero's journey of Elbrian and Avalon and Giuseppini, going through as the demon rises again in the Abelican church and in the land all around and and the, the war, the demon war. Then you have the aftermath of the demon in Mortalis, which I wrote while I was watching my best friend, my brother, die of cancer. And Mortalis is a book about grief. It's a book about too many about about dealing with grief about 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 too many people dying just too much the plague is going on it's that's that's that picture that's brother francis who had a complete arc in that book completely unexpectedly and i've got and then after mortalis you have the aftermath of all of this there's a power void the king was thrown down the the, the church has been upended the power void is filled with unsavory characters and savory characters alike. And so we have the bigger scale fight of the second generation. I should send you a review. We're going to be doing the Demon Wars books on Kickstarter starting next year. The high-end edition of the first three are going to be done in three Kickstarter. We'll do all seven. But those books, um, they're probably the best reviewed books I've ever had. But they're certainly, I think to me, I always consider my, my career has been weird right i mean i've got my gravestone's gonna say he made dritz he killed chewy <laughs> and, and hopefully someone will say oh yeah and there's these other books called demon wars that are pretty cool because i, I just adore these books i can't stop writing them. the coven Owlin, the the witch in the coven is one of my favorite characters i've ever written she's just badass and now i'm writing buccaneers which is a bunch of pirates which is a logical extension from the joke on i wore and um, I just get to play with the whole world.
0: Love. So these, these are still going, Demon Wars. you have no. Plan I've it got, got the
1: first book in the Buccaneers done, waiting for the edit. And I'm just when I wrote the book, I, I looked at the book when I had finished. I said, I don't like this because it's it's I was going back and forth between the two stories. I said, no, because it's not fast enough. I want that first book to be rocket fast and full of fury and full of action and full of pirate fights. So I took, I excised all those chapters and I wrote the first book. We don't know the name yet. Um, And then I wrote, and now I'm working on the second book was almost written. It was almost done by the time I finished the first book because it had been mostly done in that big book I had written initially. I broke them apart and it works much better because I was able to flesh out a lot more things in the second book than I would have had room for if I had kept them together. And the first book is rocking Fast. Oh, which no. is what I wanted. Um, so, I, so I did those. And and the, the Highwayman books, which are the, the prequel trilogy, the four books, Saga of the First King, they call it. The Highwayman book was very personal to me because a friend of mine, his brother, has um, cerebral palsy. And you would see him walking around, right? And the hero in that story has a similar affliction. And I always wondered, because I was picked on, brutally in junior high school it's oh, like the yeah. smallest kid in my class and so i think that's why i became a bouncer because i wanted to beat up bullies
2: right
1: and i did and that was fun um, <laughs> but get the demons out yeah <laughs> yeah the demons out actually i was a really good bouncer because i ain't getting a lot of fights i talked i talked them out of it which is what you're supposed to do because fighting hurts
2: right
1: um and even if you win it hurts um so the completely lost my train of thought anyway um I wonder what it would be like to grow up and have to deal. You know, you see it in Forrest Gump, right? When he's a kid, right? But to have to deal with the cruelty of kids when you're that different. Mm-hmm. And what's inside there, right? Here you are inside and you want You see football or baseball or whatever that makes sense to you, tennis, whatever makes sense to you, but your body won't listen to your brain. What's it like? And he became the highwayman in that series. And I remember I was at a book signing once, and this guy came up to the table, and he looked at me, and he goes, this book, and he burst into tears because he had a kid who had some, some serious issues. And he said, I'm gonna read them this book, and he's gonna know there's nothing he can't do. That's heartwarming. When you Definitely. when you hear something like that, it's your armor to keep doing this. Because being a writer is brutal. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you flat out. Being a writer is writing that paper in the second grade that you think is the greatest thing ever written and getting it back with all this with red marks all over red it. Ink, yeah. Right. Um, because everybody's everybody's and this is by the way, the reason. The reason I agreed to do this interview, because my cred's gone now. I talked to a critic. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I the would reason, call myself a critic, but sure. I told you this. The reason is because I finally found someone. Because when someone told me that you were going to do my books, and I saw your int- so it, it was online. I said, who's Mike's? And I looked, and you get a lot of views. And I'm like, oh, he's doing my books. So that's cool. And I was really interested because here's someone the best review I ever got in my life was from a guy up at Saint John, Canada, who wrote who wrote a review of my book Transcendence. And he started off saying, "Well, I had nothing else to read, and I had to get my column in, so I picked it up and gave this big, you know, my resigned ho hum, and I read it. And then he went on, and he the book blew him away. And this is the the sixth book in a seven book series, and he had no idea. All I knew, all I knew, was I was some D and D writer, right? And that was the best review I ever got in my life because and, and what I really appreciated is even though he started like that, he read the book with an open mind. And when I saw your review of what's the first one you did was Homeland.
0: I did Dark Elf first, yeah. I yeah
1: reviewed you story. Homeland. And I said, Well, he's looking at them for what they are. Now I may think there's a little more than some of the things you you, you saw. But you were, you, were, you look at books, and I looked at a lot of your reviews, you look at books for what they are, not what you wish they would be, mm. which I think is a mistake that a lot of people make when they're critiquing. Right? Um, you're not going to ever be pleased if you go at it saying, I would have done it this way. So that impressed me. And so when you said, hey, you want to come on and take it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I'm glad you did your homework first.
1: <laughs> we live in a weird world Mike oh yeah a world where oh, be careful what you say and No, and, and, to- and,
0: <laughs> I feel like that's like I see a lot of things with the, uh, you know you have to look at some of these books at the time they were written I like I, I see people that'll read Lord of the Rings for the first time and they don't understand why it's so popular and they say oh this was good it's sure. time it's aged out like it hasn't aged out because I was like it's still a foundation for just about every author you read right now in fantasy that was an influence of them so i haven't don't think it's aged out but i, I don't, well, well, don't know like, oh.
1: look when i was in college we went to see a movie called animal house and laughed our ass off <laughs> can't do that now. and by the way this is not a complaint my son put this to me better than that i've ever heard it done okay my son gino the, the one who writes the books with me sometimes Uh, I get tired of people calling me woke and you know, all using this word. They had this like word that they just use for anything they did not like, right? Mm-hmm. And Gino says to me, "You're not woke. You're waking. Isn't that the whole point of life?" <laughs> and I thought about it, and I look back to when I started and my attitudes about a lot of things, particularly sexism. I grew up with five older sisters, and I can openly say that in 1989. I was a sexist, and so were all my sisters, and so was everybody. We all thought this is just the way it is, right? Different world, and we and the whole point is to get better. Sure. In my mind, if you're not learning, you're not growing, then you're wasting. So you can't go back and look at. Movies, TV shows from the 60s and 70s now and not cringe. Unless you're willing to understand that this is a, this is a snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. This is the way the world really was. And again, one of the books that I think had the biggest effect on me as a kid, a college kid, was a book called Black Like Me. And it was about a guy who made himself black. Uh, with uh, treatments, medically. And the difference in the way he was treated is this what the book is about, his experience. And that book was eye-opening for me. And these are the types of things I like to look at in my books. And hopefully I grow while I'm writing these books. And if I don't, my wife will deck me. So...
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I definitely will say I'll be showing my my kids some movies I loved in the 80s. And I'll be like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> could, you know, be, know. should do that one today. Yeah, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you.
1: Yeah. Oh well, You got me very... Have, me. Have a, you want to have a fun time sometime? There was a movie called The Ugly Truth that came out around 2009. This is not an ancient movie. And it's got... Um, Oh, what's her name? She was on Grey's Anatomy. But anyway, the actress, and she's she works for a television studio, and they bring in this kind of um, this muckraker, this provocateur, to to kind of up the morning show because its ratings. Event. And he's a complete ass, and he like he'll like slap her in the butt when she walks by. And this is a 2009 movie, right. and she's dating this really nice guy, who's a really nice guy. <laughs> guess who she winds up with? It falling in love with, at the end of the movie. This is in two thousand and nine, so it's an interesting world.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was watching the uh, the Hangover. Yeah, but that was that came out like ten years ago. And I'm like, wow, okay. So no, I'm with you. I'm with you. But you know,
1: it's it, it's an interesting world. There's a lot to see that that goes underneath what you're really seeing. I'm with you.
0: Well, I gotta say, you've got me very interested in Demon Wars. I uh, didn't expect that to happen tonight, but uh, I, I really had no—I really didn't even know what it was uh, until I was uh, looking up how many books you'd sold before we before we started this, and I was like, "Oh, you know, my friend Alan, uh, he has a BookTube channel. He was always talking about. It. He wanted me to ask a Demon Wars question, and I couldn't get in touch with him, ask him what it was. So sorry, Alan, I forgot what the question was." Wow, but, how uh, many
1: books have I sold now? <laughs>
0: uh, it said fifteen million in America, and I'm like, how many?" Fifteen, 15 million, million
1: in America yeah no it's it's yeah if you somebody actually did a thing on how many books everyone sold in science fiction science fiction horror and and fantasy and, and um it, and it this was in like five ten years ago and the number was incredibly accurate then at about 30. um but yeah, it's it's sold a lot, and you know you can't even track that stuff anymore because of yeah, audio you book sales too. Yeah, you can't really you know second. You can't hand track audio audio sales. It's almost impossible. one mm-hmm. thing about audio
0: sales. It seems like there's a lot of people who you know just weren't readers that have really really latched on to audiobooks. That's why I don't have a problem. I, like there are some people who are like oh, audiobooks isn't really reading. And so I'm like, look, if you're consuming the story, do what works for your life.
1: Um, I can't tell if somebody's writing to me about a book whether they listened to it or read it.
0: I feel like yeah. if. If they're spelling Unless all the names know. wrong, they're spelling all the names wrong. They probably listened. <laughs> that's a good way to figure it out. At least that's yeah, how I got from it. it. Yeah.
1: But I have, I was really lucky because I have Victor Bavine doing the demo, uh, the Dritz books, and Victor's awesome, he's really great. He does all the, the same Dritz guy books. the whole time, yeah. That's he's he's in the studio right now doing Lots Warrior. He spent thousands of hours in the studio for Dritz, wow. and I have a guy named Tim Gerard Reynolds who's done most of the Demon War books.
0: I, I'm familiar with him because
2: everyone's. Perfect everyone
1: about. and um so i've been really lucky with that it's like getting larry elmore to do my first cover on the crystal shard it's pretty lucky oh i love
0: that. these i love whoever did the art for these new oh, releases these are, are so good i love them
1: yeah. yeah uh the original crystal shard cover to me phew, that's one of the things tsr had with some of the best artists and then watsy continued with that that yeah. was They really defined fantasy art for many, many years. But um, I mean,
0: ever since Frezza, I can tell you, I I, I don't know
1: how many the actual numbers when it comes to audio books, but I can tell you right now that my backlist earns me more money audio than it does ebook and print book. I believe it's crazy how much Audible has. Yeah, when I talk to really changed, it's given incredible life to my backlist. Um, That's great. Yeah, the audiobooks are huge. They're yeah, I huge. talked to Joe
0: Abercrombie, but he said he, when he first realized it was a new game was when uh, his first book in the new trilogy came out and he said in the audiobook outsold the physical and the digital book combined. I was like,
2: wow, yeah, well, okay. Well, yeah.
1: when they were talking about the publishers been kind of upset because the last couple of books haven't made the times, but the sales numbers should have put them on the times, they said. But one of the things that's really hurt me for like things like the... Um, the, the New York times list and things like that is that my audio sales are enormous compared to my print sales now. Um, so it's, it's like you bastardize yourself, but so I don't care. As long as people are enjoying the books, I'm happy. Right. I always said, as long as people, how long will you write dritz? And I said, as long as people want to, as long as I'm having fun, and as long as people want to read them, or listen to them.
0: <laughs> Everyone's a big fan of a, uh, of Victor Bivine here.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah, um, there were a couple of books that weren't done by Victor because they were done by Brilliance Audio. Remember when all of a sudden all the books came and they had like CDs with them in the stores and the sure, displays? Sure. Brilliance Audio did a couple of the Dritz books. I think it was the Sellswords Swords books, actually. And then Audible bought Brilliance and they didn't re record the books with Victor, but I get emails all the time from people trying to get them to re record the books.
0: Yeah, I think that happened with uh I mean, This is me all going off secondhand because I don't, I have. I don't have reading ADD, but I have listening ADD. It comes from trying to block out your loud, annoying kids, and you can't turn that off. So mm-hmm. I can't really do it. But I get so much feedback because a lot of my viewers are audiobooks, mostly. Not only, but mostly.
1: If and I was, was computing, good. I could do it.
0: Yeah, that's that's that, that's what that's. Being what here
1: from. at my house, I live at my house. I work at my house.
2: Yeah. I
1: have a weight room in my cellar. My friends come over to play D and D, or the, I have a batting cage out back. We go out and we hit softballs, or we play awesome. catch, or whatever. Um, being at my house, I'm busy, and there's other people, so I'm distracted. So there's well, no way I could do an audio book here.
0: Yeah, they told me that that happened with Jim Butcher, where uh, they have uh, James Marshers does uh, his Dresden Files books. And he was scheduling conflict. He couldn't do one of them, so they had a new person do it, and people just flipped out about it. No, so it's much like having a new actor me. show up. He went it's back, like, and he recorded it later.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's like having a new actor show up on a TV show you're watching. It, it It's real hard.
0: I got to imagine if it's one of those that uses really good accents and voices and stuff, it would have to be really, really hard to not just and like Victor,
1: Victor woman. I, they did. They actually asked me who I wanted. So we put it out to my fans on my Facebook page. So they, and we put the three people auditioning and Victor overwhelmingly won because he hit the tone, right. For the books. And I didn't have any say in it, but I was really, I'm really glad he won. He's also just a super guy and he wrote a book too, which is really great. Um, Victor's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's got the goods, and I love that I got this guy out there who's like a star in audio, and his card says "The Voice of Drift.
0: <laughs> oh, nice, nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, no Well,
0: it's I'm a glad great- that there's, uh, that's getting maybe these books out to a, a whole new generation. That sounds awesome. I mean, yeah, age—I'm discovering it for the first time, and I'm excited about it. So,
1: it's been an amazing journey for me. I—I I, I never expected it, um, but I don't take it for granted. Uh, you know, I got to watch my kids grow up. I got to coach their teams. Yeah. You know, it's it's been an amazing journey. And uh, yeah, I had no complaints.
0: All right. Well, I consider it an honor that you said yes to come on here. Because like I said, even if I'd never read a single book of yours, I was like, there's not a fantasy fan out there, I think, that doesn't know your name or a Star Wars fan. And, you know, they probably, you know, have different opinions, but, you know, because you're, like you said, you're the guy that killed Chewie.
1: Okay, yeah. my face on it.
0: <laughs> How much hate mail did you get after that?
1: <laughs> you know, it's amplified in my mind because I was supposed to begin my book tour at the World Trade Center on October 5th, 1999. Oh, wow. No, this, this, it was still there. There was a Borders okay. and One World Trade. And, um, I was supposed to begin my book tour, a big tour. Right right um right there. And that was the day of my brother's last MRI. Mm-hmm. So I had to postpone it and when we went that's when they told us he hasn't got 2 weeks left to live. Ouch. So I had to cancel the tour. So I had to deal with that. I had to deal with my brother watching, he was my best friend in the world other than my wife, you know. When I went on the road, the first person, because we didn't have cell phones, I would call I would call my wife, and then I'd call my brother, period. Gary was my world. He was my older brother. We played D&D together. We played hockey together. He pitched on the softball teams when I was playing left, center field or whatever. Um, you know, we did everything. We fished together. We did everything together. And I had to watch him die. And after I, no sooner had that happened, because he died like 10 days later, and the hate mail started showing up oh geez and it was really hard for me to deal with and it was even harder for me to write after that i had just finished mortalis which got me through the whole cancer thing with gary and i for for like a year and a half opening my computer was painful opening my laptop to write was painful to me and i remember i would go to like amazon and I don't read reviews. I, I'll, I'll glance at them here and there, but I generally, I've learned that they're not really worth that much one way or the other, unless everybody's saying the same thing because everybody's got an opinion, right? Um, so I don't read reviews. I, I, I will check like the top line number and make sure that I haven't hit a sour note, right? So I'll look at it because the publishers care about that a lot. So I'll, I'll look at it and it'll be like, Oh, yeah, you 4.8. I'm fine. It's good. I don't need to read anything.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm friends with uh, Chris Verrocchio, a modern sci-fi author, and he's he's the same way. He said, yeah, I'll well, check my goodreads score once in a while. But he's like, I don't read any. If
1: your good reviews are going to lift you off the ground, the bad reviews will bury you. Yeah. But for that, for a few months after Gary died and when that book came out, there was a whole group of Star Wars people that went around attacking everything I'd ever done like vicious no kidding man yeah and i would go and i was actually seeking out those one star reviews to read them wow. because i was pretending it took me a, my wife finally said to me all right enough you've got to get past this you've got a family she really made me wake the frig up and this is part of life deal with it this was like a year later and um, i realized that what i was doing is i was using those one star reviews as an excuse for feeling miserable and depressed because mm. i could deal with that i couldn't deal with having lost gary you see what i mean those
2: Absolutely. reviews
1: i i realized i was i was lying to myself i was reading those books because it made it easy for me to lie to myself I'm reading those reviews because it made it easy for me to lie to myself about what was really bothering me. Mm. but yeah there were, and you know I mean look i did vector prime okay i'm not sure they made the right choice i'm still not i wasn't then i'm not now in 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 killing joy but whatever it happened whatever he's a disney princess now so i'm okay (laughs) but (laughs) i remember i was at a convention and i forgot forgot his name but i was there with cross-gen comics and they had the guy who killed superman
0: Oh, yeah. And we were
1: all going out to lunch. And so we're walking down the street with the guy who killed Chewie and the guy who killed Superman. And we're all looking for snipers on the roofs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you, I was never mad at you, but I won't lie. I was just looking for tear stains in here. I did cry like a 12-year-old girl with a skinned knee the first time I read it, but I was... To me, how you know, people got really attached to the MCU—that was me with the Star Wars EU because I was like, I got my favorite universe back, and it's all connected. Everything's just going crazy, and I—I think Timothy's on for that because I felt like he really did pump a lot of life back into that. And made they it
1: mentioned crazy. Thrawn and the Mandalorian.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: I feel well, that. I really hope they're gonna call Tim. Come on,
0: guys! Come on! You know when they first announced that they had gotten the that Disney had bought the rights. Uh, I remember Tim made a, a Facebook post about like no one's called me yet, but obviously he's like, yeah, I'm hoping that they're going to make you know the Thrawn trilogy, and I hope for that too. So maybe they're trying to. They
1: mentioned Thrawn. The I'm Like, true. call Tim. Call Tim.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I would hope that he'd be involved in, in one way or another. That would that'd be really, really great. Full circle, Yeah, me too. I'd like for him, for
1: sure. But again, you know, this is this is the world we live in, right?
0: We only get to have a few nice things, but you know That makes us enjoy them more when we do get them. So, (laughs) so, sir, thank you so much. I really do appreciate this. And hanging out with me this long, this has been great. It's been a blast. Uh, Like I said, uh, everyone is saying, like me now, they want to check out Demon Wars. Especially when you said that Tim Reynolds did it, because apparently that's like everybody's favorite audiobook narrator. Tim
1: Reynolds did the audio on a whole bunch of them. And you can still get them. No, you can't get them right now, books. Um, But... I, I got I bought the rights back.
0: he says there's gonna be a re-release, yeah. and
1: I sold them to um the people that are doing the new Demon War books, um, Saga, Simon the shoes the saga, and they're packaging them up for re-release and ebook release. Awesome. They're still out there in audiobook right now because I have the rights for that, and I didn't take them down, they're still there. And starting next year, I'm working with a company that's going to do they do high-end books like beast and did you know the yeah. really nice ones and they want to do demon wars and we're going to do the demon awakens the demon spirit and the demon apostle in kick separate Kickstarter's.
0: and that's where uh, you recommend starting
1: i would say that i w- if i was going to start with demon wars i'd start with demon awakens and i do the original series Great. i love the coven the coven might be my favorite series of the books but i think the original series really tells you the world more than any of the others.
0: All right. So if I know anything about uh, nice collections like that, it means I should start saving up now. <laughs> put, put something away for a rainy day like I just, I just Well, you'll be, the- able to
1: get them in, you'll be able to get them in the regular trade paperback or paperback. When Yeah, you're but not when there's a fancy world. version out. Who does that? Come on. Well, yeah, more people join the Kickstarter, the happier I am, right? Because this is me working with this company to do it. So that's kind of cool. Well, let me know um, what I did. A kickstarter, but I did an RPG for Demon Wars as well. Uh, in fact, I got it right here because I'm referring to it Demon yeah. Wars Reformation. I did the Kickstarter on this years ago. That's when my wife started RA Salvastore.com, which is my, I got a plug in for my wife's store. As a marketer. You can get any of the books there, signed, personalized, except. Not the Demon Wars books right now. She might have some other hey,
0: a marketing minor that's a brilliant name. I respect that. Yeah. Good.
1: That was my idea. Everybody laughed at me. They went, that's the worst dad joke ever. And then they used it. RASORE.com. Yeah, sure. Damn it. But um we did an RPG. My son, my son Gino, that I write with, was a narrative designer at 38 Studios and worked with Tricky Fast Games and just worked with worked with me on a new module for the cryptic Neverwinter game with my characters. So Gino's a game designer. My son Brian is a major league game designer at one of the biggest game companies in the world, working on one of the, if not the most successful game in the world at a very high level. Brian designed this game. He is an amazing game designer. And you, I don't need to say that. Ask his boss if he has any bosses. Um, they just let him go. because he's. But this game, we have so much fun with it. We played it for five years before I had decided I had to own a 5e. Um, but we kickstarted this. It was a very successful kickstarter, right? And I had a blast doing it. And the only reason I stopped doing it is because when I did this, I hired, I bought, I bought the Parkinson painting from his widow. Uh, and I, I, bought, I, had Todd, I bought some stuff from Todd Lockwood. I bought some stuff from Larry Elmore. And I paid their rates. And I used the printer down the street in, in Littleton, Mass, that printed the book. I wasn't trying to cut corners. I hired somebody to do the layout and I paid the rates for all this stuff. We still made profit. We made a nice profit. All three of us, we got, you know, a little bit of money going on vacation or something. And we had a lot of fun doing it. We shipped them ourselves. It was a we had a ton of fun doing it. It was a lot of work, but a lot of very satisfying work. And we we spent a year playtesting the damn game, having a blast. But then I found out when I went back to do the second one, that the only way you can compete at that time with Kickstarter is you got to print in China. Hmm. You got to do share art. Cause you just, you can't get the numbers that you need to pay a Todd Lockwood or a Keith Parkinson or a Larry Elmore. And I said, I'm out. That's that's, I don't want to do that. So that's why I stopped doing Kickstarters, But, um, it was a blast, and and I'm excited to be back in that space again because I, I love Kickstarter, I love the whole concept.
0: Yeah, there's people like Michael J. Solomon who who do everything off of Kickstarter now, and he's he's been very. Yeah, successful.
1: I remember I was at the convention, and um, what was the game? Was it Ogre? It's coming back out. Steve Jackson, and he, he he just put a game up on Kickstarter, and it was just going through the roof. And of course, look what Brandon did. I mean, that's oh yeah. <laughs>
2: But a brand drink. is
1: shipping 300,000 units a month for every month this year. So God bless him and his team. Yikes.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: that was incredible. Um, but yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I know of a lot of writers. Uh, Sean Speakman does a lot of stuff. Yeah. A web for Terry Brooks. He does a lot of stuff on Kickstarter. And it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful tool. And and you you need that. You need that. Um, in this industry because the, the hopper is so tight down the bottom for the people who are going to get any marketing money or anything. So I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of it.
0: Well, I doubt you'll need my help, but if you do get a Kickstarter for this, uh, this demon Wars special edition, let me know and I will be sure. Oh, it's it,
1: in, it's in the can we're doing them. It's right. just, we're just trying to come up with the, all the odds and ends of what we're doing now, the company that I'm working with, they're, they're, they're becoming specialists in just doing these types of books.
0: Outstanding. I would yeah. be happy to share this because there, there's a space
1: really cool. there to be to be made for sure.
0: Okay. Well, I hope you uh, don't mind me uh, emailing you as I continue my my journey through Drift here and uh, tell you what I think. Oh, please do. I'll be okay with that. Please do. Probably keep continuing I mean, to review them as a as a series. I I, I love that because I've had lots of people in the comments asking, "Is this a series you can kind of pick up and go and pick up and go?" And I was like, "I think so." I feel like each. Little, it's kind of what I said about. I'm reading Robin Hobb's *Rumble of the Elderlings*, and I feel like it's what I like. That it's okay. It's a 16 book series, and you feel a little intimidated because, well, be honest, her books are a little thicker than yours. Uh, but uh, it's like you can read each kind of little sub series yeah. and take a break <laughs> if you must. And that's what I—that's what I really liked about Driss. I feel like, uh, you well, the,
1: you got to understand that, unlike *Demon Wars*, or *Song of Ice and Fire*, or *Wheel of Time*, or or a lot of the other series out there, the Driz books really are more like James Bond or sherlock holmes Mm -hmm. where you could pick up almost any book in that series and read i think the cleric quintet you'd have to read all five in a row to really get what's going on but i wrote that as like that demon wars don't pick up book two you know pick up book one demon awakens and go through um with dritz i think i picked up so many people with thousand orcs with that amazing todd lockwood cover and it was right after the Jack's first Jackson movie came out and had Orcs in the title. I picked up like thirty thousand new readers right. on the first print run, um, and that's I get letters all the time from people. I started with thousand Orcs and then went back, which is what I want. But I don't think you you really need to. Maybe as we're getting near the, the completing that circle of Drit's journey here, you, the end the books will have a lot more at the end. I wouldn't pick up the very newest books, I sure. would, but I would. But they're they're probably. I'd be curious to see somebody who started with like. Timeless, the, the last six books or the last three, I'd be curious to see the reaction they had to Dritz because it would be very different, than somebody who started at the beginning. I think it'd be kind of interesting to
2: see. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, so you can pick up any of the books, have fun. It's a it's a romp. At, at the very least, it's a fun adventure. I think so, and
0: that's why I recommend them constantly. So, well, thank Good. you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's a, what is it? Monday night? Tuesday? Night? I don't even know what night it is. I don't know what night it is, but hey, thank you. It's for Monday. It Monday? Uh, yeah. Uh, kids didn't have I school. I work in
1: World of and, Warcraft because I'm leaving Friday.
0: Have, yeah,
1: just, yeah, so you guys have a great time at Disney.
0: Uh, oh, so I'm always, to take my kids there before they're too old to give a damn anymore. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping to get my
1: grandson. There. is My oldest grandson is 13, and then there's a 76543. Almost three and one and a half.
0: Oh, so, you, got one one half. so you can get the you whole testing test. group there to see which age appreciates this the most. Oh, we're gonna be loud. I'll <laughs> stand. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great night and keep uh Here's keep doing going. keep doing what you do.
1: Appreciate I appreciate it. I got bills, I will. No, <laughs> I'm only kidding. Right. Um, I'm not kidding, I do, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I love it. So right. thanks for having me on. It's fun talking with you. You got
2: you know. it. Thanks
0: guys for hanging out with us. We appreciate it. Uh everyone have a great great night. Take care guys.